Hey everybody, welcome to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. We get to feature today my favorite supporting character of all time, which is a strong phrase, but I think it's true. Uh, the goddess Vera Cantor, and I am joined by my friend, the goddess Sarah Century. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hi, we're recording this in morning time, like, so it is pretty early. Like Monday morning, 8 a.m. here <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's a great way to wake up you know like if I could wake up to x-men conversations every time that's how I want to wake up all the time uh my husband asked a few months back he's like can you do less podcasts on the weekends because then I'm not seeing you as much so I'm trying Aww. to do more things on weekdays which is nice but also I'm a morning person I tend to uh, schedule most of my professional clients before noon because afternoon I get cynical with people and before noon I'm very helpful and empathic <laughs> yeah yeah same I am a as a writer it's like after about 2 p.m like I will still be writing but I'm kind of writing like rambling kind of my own personal thoughts kind of things what are you writing right now Right now, oh God, um, I'm finishing up a short story actually. So um, yeah, I was trying to make it to, there's a an anthology, a horror anthology called Fiend in the Furrows that I was in the second edition to. They're doing the third edition right now. I missed the deadline, but I had already gotten so much of the short story done. And usually you can place it somewhere, you know? So um, basically it's just a, I wanted to do a take on like a daytime horror kind of thing. So it's a, got grandma stuff in it because I love my grandma who passed away. And also it has a lot to do with like just kind of general folk horror themes like there's kind of like a almost a scarecrow thing happening and you know you try to keep it fresh but horror tropes all over the place and I am looking at finishing that basically right now before the pandemic I was like a very disciplined writer and pandemic I just got swallowed by like homeschooling my children and I'm just not getting back into writing. I've got a new graphic novel script that I've started up, which is uh, which is really fun. It's nice to use that part of my brain and heart again. It's been a little while. Uh, yeah, no kidding. That's awesome. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. Is it going pretty well or how's the process? Uh, I'm already in the storyboarding phase, which is I got like a big, I don't have it in here. I got like a big book of giant pages and I'm like hand drawing stick figure comic book panels to see how it all kind of lays out. And then after I finish that, that'll take me a few weeks. Then I'll do uh, then I'll do final script. Uh, I did this with my with my graphic novel uh, previously, so uh, it's it's interesting to get back in that space. I'm in a coffee shop with like a sharpened pencil and a big old piece of paper, and I am not an artist, <laughs> but I know how to work. But I know how to work a camera on a comic book page, right? So that yeah. part. So we'll see. We'll see. I, how it I goes. think it's really helpful. I think I've heard a lot of writers say that they really, or sorry, a lot of artists say that they really wish that writers would do things like that more often, just to kind of understand and how the flow will work. And so I think that's a good thing that you're doing that. Well, and whenever I get paired with an artist, I'm always doing, uh, you know, adaptation, like feel free to make this your own kind of thing, but here's how I saw it. Uh, but I do tend to go full script as opposed to like Marvel method, but it always depends on what you're writing, right? Short story versus blog versus, like I did a documentary before the pandemic that was a totally different part of my brain. Um, but was weirdly prepping me for podcasts because I did a lot of interviews for a few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, I uh, I am really happy to have you here. One of one of the ways I first was introduced to you was uh, through, of course, uh, your appearances on Cerebro. 
I have never had Twitter prior to launching this podcast. So I'm like kind of getting into like new areas of social media, getting familiar with Discord and all these other things that I've just never, ever used. Uh, but you did an infamous lengthy episode with uh, Connor Goldsmith on Cerebro about the character Candy Southern, who is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, I shared with you and Connor when we had uh, Annalise uh, Bissa on, uh, I wrote about these characters on the Marvel Appendix like 13 years ago. Uh, like these are characters that I've loved for a long, long time. Uh, tell me about your connection to, uh, to Ms. Vera Cantor, if you have one. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I don't think I really had one that much, but what I was realizing is that there's a lot more to her than what I knew because I had only seen her in The Defenders. I had seen her in X Factor. So that is like a very sparse groundwork for a character, right? Like I believe I had even seen some of her in the classic X-Men, but it was all stuff that had just kind of like passed me by a little bit where I was like, oh yeah, those are like the girlfriends of Bobby and Hank. And then Bobby and Hank treat them like they're very annoying. So, you know, I clock (laughs) it. Oh, I guess that they're really annoying, you know? And the more that you look into this character, she really is very interesting. So I was really enjoying the opportunity to look back on her and to kind of get to know her for the first time, I guess, because she is like, she's not, it's like Candy Southern is a character that to me was immediately captivating because I see her in these key moments. She has all of these moments that she's kind of granted where we really get to see her shine. And it's in these big storylines, you know, it's like, she's not a character that's super prominent, but she is a character that has her moments, right? Whereas I think that Vera also has moments but it was just in things that I had never read so kind of looking back on her now I'm like oh yeah I was like not even giving her the chance that she deserved basically so I really appreciate that you had me on to talk about her I love that you were willing to I uh after doing all of my Vera research which I sent to you and it's 12 pages long good lord it's good it's a good read (laughs) uh uh, I I really was giving thought to the Vera Zelda candy dynamic and I did an episode on Bernard the Poet here on the Patreon recently and he's just ridiculous But I ended up sitting down and writing a short story about these three women, uh, which will probably never be published because Marvel's not going to grab me to write a Vera Cantor story. But it it kind of allowed me to sit down and channel them. Candy, I see as this kind of rich fashion icon. She's got a lot of privilege. Uh, I love her. Uh, But she's had a lot of things handed to her. Whereas Zelda and Vera come across a little bit more like they move to New York City to follow their dreams. Uh, these are girls that can barely afford a hot dog. They're sharing an apartment in 1960s New York. I mean, sliding time scale and all that. Yeah. Uh, they're getting jobs where they can. One's at the library part-time. The other's a barista. They've got big dreams. Uh, uh, they are, they're, they're just a little bit more down to earth for me. And I, and again, this is nothing against candy. I love No, that totally reads. I think that the, one of the big differences that I noted with candy, as opposed to these two is that candy is really good at clocking people. Like even (laughs) despite her privilege and maybe even because of her privilege, she's really good at reading people. So I, 
don't think there's ever really a time when Warren pulls the wool over her eyes. I think that the reason that I underestimated maybe both Zelda and Vera was because they do have the wool pulled over their eyes. But the fact is, as you are pointing out, that they have a lot of other things going on. It's like not easy for them. And they also don't have the benefit of having known these guys since childhood. We talked a little bit in the Candy Southern episode of Cerebro that it's clear that Warren and Candy have known each other since they were little kids. So she has a lot of context for this guy. Whereas Hank and Bobby, they could, and, and it was a time too, whenever it's like guys being weird like that was like something that was, you were really just supposed to brush off if you were a woman, right? So I think that there's a lot to that. But yeah, I think that that's kind of, as you know, there is a difference between all three of them personality wise, but you're totally correct. I think that uh, Vera particularly is an interesting character in that she like is a librarian. Like that's a really cool job. We'll talk more about that later. Yeah. But I think that she's, it's like the dreams that they have. You can see that maybe because Hank and Bobby are dismissive to them, they're also not the center of their existence. Like they both have a lot going on, whereas Candy can do whatever she wants. So Bobby she has is, time. <laughs> I just did a whole long episode about Bobby's parents. We talk a lot about Bobby's love life in it. And I, that was with Rob Salerno. So go back and listen last week. But uh, Bobby had like all of his girlfriends come back during his coming out story, but never Zelda. Zelda's been kind of forgotten for a long time. <laughs> Vera, however, has been attached to Hank through large parts of his history, uh, yeah. even though she hasn't been around, but she's she's around more than you think. I go back and I associate these 60s scenes where they're at the Cafe Agogo, uh, almost like a Scooby-Doo episode. Everything yeah. feels like crazy, zany antics. If we were casting archetypes, I feel like uh, Beast and Bobby, who are the ones that are mostly there, Beast and Bobby are, are Scooby and Shaggy where uh, 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 Candy, if she's in it, is Daphne, and Zelda is Fred, <laughs> and Vera is Velma, who was always my favorite. Velma's got the glasses. She's a little nerdy. She's dressed like fashion icon, but also like bought it at a thrift store. She's ready to like jinkies, like <laughs> solve the crime, get the clue. Uh, I, I, uh, I, when I cast these characters in my mind, that's kind of where they land. With Zelda as Fred, she's kind of the straight guy who's like, no nonsense, hardworking, leave me alone. Uh, but I, I really love all three of them. This, it scans for me because uh, Daphne is always my favorite. So <laughs> this, all, this all clocks, you know? You like the, the lipstick lesbians. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I do have a type. I'm like starting to realize that now that I'm like approaching 40. There was like a long time where I'd always be like, I don't think I have a type. And now lately I've been like, oh yeah, I think I do and always did actually. <laughs> So, so introduce these characters. Uh, yeah. April 1966, Stan Lee gives us Vera Cantor, Zelda Kurtzberg, who's never given a last name until like the handbooks way later. Uh, and they're, they're beautifully drawn by Jay Gavin, which was a pen name for Werner Roth, uh, inked by Dick Ayers. Uh, there's the Cafe Gogo. They're hanging out and uh, meeting boys and like listening to nonsense. So they just hang out there all the time. And Vera's kind of indelibly associated with this place. But that's not where we first meet her. We meet her at the uh, New York Library. Uh, uh, Bobby has recently met Zelda, who we learn will learn is uh, Vera's roommate in the big city. Two, you know, two single gals like trying to make it in the big city. Uh, we don't know a lot about their backstories, but I love them for that. And uh, Bobby has said, I, "I have a friend that might uh, that might like your roommate," and they agree to set them up, and they're going to meet at the local library. So when we meet Vera for the first time, she's like sassy, she's smart, she is 
always ready with an eye roll, but she's not afraid to cry if she has to. She will tell you off, she will stomp away, but she will also like anything you say, she will come back at you. Uh, she, she's always ready with a retort. Uh, she can hold her own with like really large egos. Uh, she's been attached most closely to two heroes over their over their uh, their existences. One is the Beast, and the other is Mimic. Both of whom uh, both of whom have like substantial egos. We'll be talking about both these guys today. Uh, but uh, but Vera is just uh, just lovely. So when we first meet her, she's working part time at the New York Public Library. Uh, she uh, is is hanging out in uh, just like at her desk. And uh, we learn in a backstory a little bit later that there's one day when Calvin Rankin, who is the mimic, comes into the library. He's looking for books on mine engineering. And this is a totally different, there's a different mimic episode that'll happen somewhere. But he basically grew up in a cave with his dad and then the cave exploded and his dad died. And now he wants to go get into the cave so we can get this machine that will help him rule the planet. That's 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 kind of mimic story. He's a weird guy, and he's very much a weird guy here. You're just like, okay, all he's right. In, he's intense, but he. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll I can spend a second on him. We learned that his dad. Well, mimic's actually a mutant, which they don't reveal till much later. But we learned that his dad performed some experiments. One of them got on Mimic, basically, and he now has the powers to like steal skills from other people. So in school, he was like stealing knowledge or like athletic prowess from people and it caused problems. And so his dad like hit him in a cave with this machine that would like control his powers. This guy did not grow up with many social skills and he's like super white guy privilege, like just take, let, let me take what I deserve rather than work for anything. We also learn a lot later that he's bipolar, which explains right. some of his like massive anger problems and later his massive depression issues, which we'll and, get into. And it's hard for him to communicate things, which I think is what it, it does add depth to him later where you go, okay, like there's no excusing how he talks to Vera in this, not to say that, but whenever you find out later, they try to like kind of humanize him a little bit and they're like, well, he's bipolar and it's like, yeah, he clearly like, you know, has gone through a lot. So I think that later it's a lot easier to sympathize with him. So Calvin has flirted with Vera and asked her out and she is not interested. No, thank you, sir. And this is just kind of referenced in dialogue later, but we know that this happened and Calvin is pissed. Like he is going to come back for her in a while. So uh, Bobby and Hank arrive at the library. They're, Bobby knows Zelda, obviously. Hank has never met Vera. Uh, they don't see Zelda there. And Bobby's first thought, because he's trying to fit in with the straight guys, he goes, oh, let's start kissing some other chicks then, Hank. <laughs> but Hank Good starts, job, Bobby. <laughs> Hank starts looking at, at books about beasts, which is adorable. Uh, Vera is looking fabulous in a green dress, white collar, brown hair, and the cutest little pixie cut. She's got pearl earrings on and her iconic glasses. She leans over her desk and says to Hank, if you haven't noticed, those books are for preschool children. And Hank retorts, my dear young lady, as a free citizen and a free society, it behooves me to, Bobby interrupts, noting that Zelda is approaching alone, uh, which means Bobby assumes that Zelda's friend couldn't make it on the date. So Hank rather aggressively leans over Vera's desk and says, just as well, I'm beginning to find the company of females somewhat trying. And Vera, not giving one shit, says, well, aren't you the gallant one? And then Zelda enters triumphantly and lets them know that Vera is Hank's date. And Hank goes, now they tell me. <laughs> Vera says, do you always blush that way, Mr. McCoy? And he says, it's the only way I know how. 
so let's talk about this first meeting between Vera and Hank for just a moment. The uh, the beginning of a very meh love affair. <laughs> it's like pretty volatile. And I got to say that he comes out of it better than she does. Like he really puts her through it through the entire run. Lots of terrible things happen to Vera directly because of Hank. Mm -hmm. And he also is never there for her in any kind of a tangible way. Like that's something... <laughs> It just keeps going. There's a years that go by and you're just like, you're still a really bad boyfriend to this poor girl. And it does kind of get like later on, it gets like a little like gaslighty because he's definitely kind of, you know, okay, like I love you though, you know, kind of thing. So it's like uh, sometimes with the love bombing and sometimes with like no word for weeks at a time. So I get how bad it gets. Um, it doesn't start great either. What do you think about Vera after this initial like uh, exchange? Vera rules, yeah. Like that's kind of what I've walked away from all of this reading has been Vera's really cool and she's clearly like even in the beginning is flirting with him like that line of like I don't know if you've noticed but that's for preschoolers like that's clearly a librarian flirting flirting librarians that kind of like rag on you a little bit like it's a thing so <laughs> I think that if he had just been a little bit more cool like that's the thing is you see how not cool Hank is kind of um whenever Vera is around because Vera is really cool so we, we later see Vera dating the mimic for a minute we'll get there in a while yeah but other than that the only love interest we know of hers is is Hank like what is her type what does she see in this guy in this initial moment I think that what she sees in him is that he's probably like a good looking guy like that's probably the first thing that she notices and whenever she sees him kind of reading like a little kid's book she's probably like that's odd and kind of wants to strike up a conversation. I think just that he's an odd person that he kind of stands out even without her knowing that he's a mutant. He still kind of stands out in the crowd a little bit. He's got his like smart guy look he's reading a book by a that's about for preschoolers. I think that there's just something about that that intrigues her. And then as you go on, it's definitely the fact that he's a smart guy. Like you can tell that she's interested in smart guys and that it really appeals to her, that he has a sense of self, that he's confident and that he is intelligent. I think that those are all things that she really resounds with because most of the time she's hanging out at like the coffee a go-go and she knows a bunch of people probably who know about the, the current moment but don't really know about like classical music and stuff like that so I think that he's kind of he merges those two worlds in the same way that she does and I think that that's why she likes him I can see that I I have a friend who reminds me of non-blue Hank he's yeah. like he's like five nine wrestler build like really thick like chest and huge ass and like thick legs and he's kind of squat and just takes up a lot of space and he's super sexy. <laughs> yeah. Not, not the type I would normally think of, but like associating with this guy in person. And you put him in the library in like a little green suit with some glasses. And I'm like, oh, hi there. Like I, I, I'm, I'm feeling you, Vera. I get it. I think totally. she also, I think she also likes the wordplay. Uh, yeah. Hank is very misogynistic. We get lots of like female and girl and blah. And Nightmare blah. person. Yeah. But I think she kind of just sees past it and like, 
sees like the charm underneath and i think beast can be pretty charming as long as it's you true. are at the forefront of his thoughts otherwise that's the thing inside, like nothing he can be really manipulative like that's his charm is like mo like a lot of charming people you really have to learn to mitigate that right or you just become a manipulative person it's like you have to have sincerity behind the charm and i don't think that hank usually does but <laughs> also yeah like like i we, we were saying just a second ago she does seem to see through him and that's something that comes up repeatedly in the stories where she's like I see you as like a child, basically. Like you're a scared little boy. She casually dates him through the 60s, but during his, uh, well, we'll get to it in a minute, but she's like his serious girlfriend for a while and he's a terrible boyfriend. Good Lord. Awful. We'll get there in a minute. So they leave the library. They're going out for their date. Vera, like, you know, she's, she's, she's giving him a chance. And here comes Calvin Rankin uh, stomping down the street, just looking fucking unhinged and red faced. Like he's very aggressive. I don't know what just happened to this guy. Someone like peed on him in a cab. <laughs> he's, he's mad. It's he got comes, that vibe, yeah. He comes stomping down the road and he goes, so you don't have a time for a date with me today, but here you are arm in arm with that creep. And Vera yells back, I don't have to answer to you for anything, Calvin. Just because I've helped you locate the books you wanted on mine engineering, that doesn't mean you can tell me whom to date. So we get the exposition. There's a mine somewhere. And then yeah. Calvin immediately starts throwing punches at Hank. Uh, and Hank begins bouncing off of the walls. I'm sorry, sorry. Calvin starts bouncing off the walls. So he has mimicked Beast's powers uh, without even really knowing what's happening because nobody knows that Hank is Beast at this point. Uh, Vera yells at the boys, Calvin, stop it. Hank, there, there's a, there's no need for a common street, street brawl. And Calvin knocks Hank to the ground and yells, that'll teach you to stay away from my girl. Like all possessive and like bleh, gross. Uh, and then things go nuts. Construction workers start fucking throwing bricks. Uh, Calvin then adapts to Iceman's powers. And again, the girls don't know that Bobby is Iceman or that Hank is Beast. Uh, and he just like throws himself over a wall and disappears. And Vera's got to be like, what the hell happened? Like this guy in my <laughs> library just fucking attacked me with superpowers in the street. Like calls me my girl. Like, I don't know. Give me your thoughts on this, uh, this initial chaos. Yeah, he's awful, right? Like, this is really terrible. And Vera is bewildered. <laughs> she has her moment of just being like, stop. Like, what are you doing? And she, to her benefit, tells that to Hank as well. She's like, yo, chill. Like, this doesn't need to escalate. Like, calm down. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting scene. I feel for her immediately because you're just like, not only is she trying to set boundaries, but she's trying to do it in the most chaotic situation you could even imagine. Like, imagine this. Just what, how would you react if you were in this position? And it's basically how Vera reacts. Like, you wouldn't be able to do anything else. Like, it's kind of a wild moment. Um, yeah, this is Calvin's introductions are bad. Like he's a rough character for a long time. I, uh, I will occasionally go out to a straight bar where there's like lots of dancing, like college agey stuff happening. It's not, I mean, the gay bar is much more my preferred scene, but uh, in straight bars, I'll always notice, I'm like an observer of human behavior. I'll always notice kind of guys acting like a little predatory. There's like a lot of like muscle flexing and like chest out like trying to get and the girls will automatically a lot of them like develop some sort of demure like oh my gosh you're so strong like kind of weird like mating ritual 
Uh, and I see Calvin doing that here. He's like flexing really big to try to get Barrett, but she is not going to mirror. She's like, get the fuck away. What's wrong with you? Uh, the X-Men go on here to have like this adventure with Mimic and he basically loses his powers and memories at the end. That's kind of the rest of this story that Vera is not part of. We'll do more Mimic stuff later. Uh, but, uh, but it's kind of an introduction for her. Uh, she shows back up in X-Men 22. So just a few issues later, Bobby and Hank are out on the street. Uh, they're meeting Zelda and Vera for another date. And this is one of my favorite moments in all of 60s X-Men stuff. Hank walks up to uh, who he thinks is Vera, uh, taps, him, taps, taps this man on the shoulder who has a similar haircut to Vera and says, salutations, beauteous one. Your punctuality shall be rewarded by an excursion to the local cinema followed by a luxurious malted. What's your reaction to that glorious message, Vera? And this guy named Waldo turns around. <laughs> He goes, I think you better get your goggles fixed, man. The name's Waldo, not Vera. It's getting so a rock and roll singer's got no privacy anymore. And <laughs> Hank's like, oh, sorry, I thought you were someone else. And Vera walks up and has seen the whole thing. She is in a yellow turtleneck, form-fitting, like blue dress, matching purse. And she says, well, Mr. McCoy, if you're quite finished making a fool of yourself, and Hank is embarrassed, but she just laughs it off. She's like, totally normal mistake. What was your take on this scene? oh man beast <laughs> yeah I mean it really does kind of kick off like the vibes because I think I was thinking at a certain moment if I were Vera and um Zelda then I would be like those two boys are like they have something between them right whenever it comes to like Bobby and Hank because there's a lot of times where they like vanish there's like a scene later where they're like where'd you go in the dark or something like that and I'm like if I were them I'd be like those two are like hooking up right so I think that it just kind of starts like the the vibe of that where you're just like Hank is over here just being like what's up and then it's just like oh you're like some guy named Waldo and Vera is like <laughs> Vera thinks it's hilarious which I also think is pretty hilarious Vera is just like it's, it's fine <laughs> and you see really that she lets things roll off her like pretty easily that is not to her benefit later <laughs> like at a certain moment it's like no you you probably need to stop letting things like roll off your back right but like in this part like you can see that she's able to roll with the punches and I think that that's good I think Hank is a little bit bisexual uh he's there's, there's too many times where you're just like you said that you were gay during the Morrison yeah, run yeah. there's just like a lot of times where you're like uh if the you're first, not bi then you're just a complete jerk <laughs> like big, honestly the first big vibe I get is when they meet Kesar for the first time and Hank's like oh look at this guy's biceps look like, at that guy and now he he's tapping out. now he's tapping Waldo on the shoulder like whoops like did he do this on purpose he's like I thought you were someone else uh <laughs> that's the thing is like yeah I don't know there's a whole time where you're just uh yeah Hank Hank is either way a jerk like I don't want to like give <laughs> Hank really any anything because it's like even it's like people are like oh lately he's turned into a super villain and it's like yeah totally but if you go all the way back look at how he's treating Vera he's terrible mm -hmm. to her so the fact is like he's kind of just always been a villain <laughs> like he was always a super villain that was charming and like made it easy to view him otherwise because sometimes he does good things a lot of villains I'm sure sometimes do good things but that's the deal with this guy however I'm like the bi vibes are off the charts with him yeah, and yeah, they yeah. always have been 
I think Hank has a tremendous ego, a great sense of humor, but he's also super oblivious. Uh, but there's also this like 60s trope. I mean, it still happens in the comics some where like the hero who has the secret identity is dating someone and then has to tell all of these lies to like keep their secret identity covered. And it's meant to be found kind of funny. Like they just are like Spider-Man's always leaving Mary Jane or, or whoever sitting at the table. Like what happened to Peter? He's been gone for hours. Uh, and that's very much the vibe here too. You also get this thing like I'm picturing Vera like kind of curious about this guy she meets in the library right but it's always on date two or three and we've both been in like in the dating scene before it's always on date two or three where you start noticing things about people and you're like mm. so like after after this uh little interchange with Waldo on the street Vera like asks Hank like what do you do at your private school and he's like oh mostly just hang around by my feet and her first response is honestly can't you ever be serious like she's she's already a little bit over his ridiculousness here, uh, and I, like red flag. This guy uh, is, is very evasive, and soon she's gonna notice he starts disappearing during their dates a lot. So she's uh, she's already having none of it. We're gonna see a lot more of that coming up. Yeah, he's. I can only imagine like dating somebody like this right like where it's kind of like the nightmare scenario where you know they're always dipping out on you like they're always missing dates like they're always saying they're gonna be there and not being there and then when they do show up they're like but you're so beautiful or like look at this like prize that I got you or something like that it's like very manipulative that's the thing since day one this guy has been a huge manipulator that's like what's wild about it is like i don't know people i think people get introduced to him through like the 90s cartoon and he's like a fun guy in that and we see mostly the fun guy side of him but that's the thing he is a fun guy but he's also a huge manipulator and you see that with Vera probably more than anybody, honestly. We uh, we did a Beast-focused episode, uh, The Trials. You've been part of our trials. We did a Beast trial early on. And one of the things I point out about him right away is every 10 years or so in the comics, his presentation changes. So here we get like smart, fun Beast. And then he turns into like blue, tortured Beast. And then like happy-go-lucky, bouncy Avengers Beast. Avengers right? guy, yeah. Like, uh, and, and he's changed over the years, but Vera's attached to these three different versions of the Beast very differently. So right now we have like, like, uh, like uh, back on the dating thing, I uh, one of my life mantras, and I have a lot of them, is one time is a crisis, three times is a pattern. So if I notice a red flag about someone, the first time I'll observe, the second time I'll ask them about it. But if it's a third time, I'm pretty done. Like, uh, and I wanna go back and give Vera that advice. Like this guy, uh, I have, my, my best friend has been dating someone new who will make big promises. Like, I wanna take you out to dinner tomorrow. I can't wait to see you. And then the next day it's like, oh, I'm sick, I can't make it. And it's been like a, a pretty predictable pattern for a minute. And when you fall into that pattern and you let somebody take advantage of you in that way, uh, you start to notice those inconsistencies. There's some pretty bad behavior patterns that show up. Uh, and I think Vera is pretty good at noticing those with Hank right away. We're not even there yet, but this is kind of the first sign. She's like, oh my God, will you just answer my question? Like I'm trying to actually have a conversation with you. Yeah, like I answer your questions. Why can't you answer any of mine? And I think too, like there's something to be said because as you say, you know, dating and stuff, like I've definitely dated people that were massively manipulative and it took me months and months to find out like mm -hmm. that's 
just kind of how it is. And so you do feel for Vera through this whole thing where you're just like, it gets even worse as it goes on because uh, yes. you're like, at this point, you're so in it that like, it must be really hard. Like, you know, there's just a lot going on, but there's no point where I'm just like, oh, that's cute, Hank, or anything like that. Like, I'm always like, if he's being nice to her, it's just to smooth things over, basically. And, and for any of our beast lovers out there, you can still be a beast fan, but you are going to hear him as we get into this episode, progressively treating Vera worse and worse. As we, This is him at his worst, forward. I think, because it's like later he does really terrible things. Like the Krakoa era is him being kind of just a monster. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, this is the groundwork for that. So anybody who looks back and sees you know, Archangel and Angel or like, you know, any of that, it's the same thing or like Phoenix and Jean, you know, like that's, it's kind of the same thing. Like, honestly, like you see how even in the beginning, this guy has just used his intelligence to get one over on people. And he's yeah. used to being able to lean on that. And, um, you know, it's a little scary, like, honestly, through this whole thing, it's just kind of terrifying. I get that there's like, elements of it that's supposed to be cute and then there's also the fact that it was a time right like I think women were really expected to take whatever was handed to them pretty much during this era like even in the 60s where it was like free love or like whatever I there was still so much oppression of women and like you know I like my grandma was like a housewife during this time and like you know um like famously she would always tell me that she wanted to go to Woodstock but her husband wouldn't let her and like kind of things like that right so it's like even though there was like progressive change happening that doesn't mean it affected everybody equally it doesn't mean that it got everywhere um I have a quick question about Vera and um Zelda so their last names are they Jewish because Vera Cantor and then what's Zelda's last name again Zelda's last name is later revealed to be Kurtzberg which is a direct homage to Jack Kirby because Kirby's mm -hmm. short for Kurtzberg so and Kurtzberg Kurtzberg is very likely Jewish uh, Cantor could be Jewish like if you define if you look up the meaning of the last name Cantor it's like the person at like Catholic churches who will like lead the the congregation in like prayer or chanting uh and uh, i it, it's never been revealed that she is jewish I, I think there's more than one origin for that as a last name but it certainly could be the case i'm just gonna headcanon them both as being jewish because i think that a we deserve way more jewish characters and yes. comics i'm not jewish but i have a ton of jewish friends and so I know that there's a lot of like complexities around reading comics that are created by like almost entirely like Jewish yeah, yeah. creators. And then also like seeing how much oppression there is still and like how, how little um, on the page representation there is. But I think that they work really well as Jewish characters. I think that it would be really um, like a good thing to make them canonically Jewish. In my head, they're Jewish. I'll say that. I feel like we could do like a giant focused issue on Beast. Like someone's making a documentary about him and they interview a bunch of people who love Beast, like Wonder Man and Iceman and like people who only have good things to say. And then they'd interview people who've been treated shitty by Beast. And like Vera would be the first interview. Like he dumped me. We'll talk about the way he dumps her later. Good fucking God. Uh, he dumped me this way. And then they would start to interview like people from Terra Verde who's like, yes, he like took over my government and my whole family was killed. <laughs> Or he weaponized the legacy virus and wiped out my whole, like, like, this isn't a great guy, but this is nice beast back then at least. 
he's he's definitely not that terrible yet um I will say like I like I said there are these like little sparks where you see where this is going kind of but because that's the thing is like there's so many things in comics where people are like this came out of nowhere I was thinking the other day because I love Jean Grey right and people there's like that era whenever uh Professor X is trying to rehabilitate Sabretooth and uh people will be like oh Jean was helping Professor X I view that as Jean was a opposed to the idea from the beginning and was going along with it for Professor X. However, if you read those comics, both of those versions of Jean are there, right? Sure. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of how I feel about a lot of these characters. If you look at Hank, yeah, he's funny and like he's charming and he's a good friend to Bobby, you know, and um, he's like literally like the best friend to Bobby. He's really, really a good guy to Bobby, right? So of course, Bobby would be like, this guy's amazing. He's like my best yeah. friend in the whole world. And Veer is like, Bobby, do you ever notice that he's like completely awful to me? You know, and Bobby's like, actually, no, <laughs> because he loves you. Right. Like, that's the thing. People are different to different people. Like that's, you know, some people will say Sarah Century is a wonderful person. Some people will say Sarah Century gets on my nerves. Sarah Century was mean to me, you know, whenever I, we were 25 or something, things that I don't even remember. So you see how every person is a bunch of different people, but especially these characters that have been around for so long and they're like still encapsulating like the age, like, you know, 15 to 35, basically of their lives. We've seen so many takes by so many different creators that a lot of times all of the versions are there if you just look at it. And it just depends on what you want to see. And depends that's kind on the of- storyteller. Yeah. And they, they're emphasized over decades by these different people and you get to know people pretty well and the times change. So the stories change and the characters are presented differently in 2022 than they were in 1963. But it's still, you see the through line of the storytelling. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, you see things that are recurring and that you can point to and say that's a thing, but it's like you who you are as a person depends on how you're going to interact with that too, which is why Connor and I agree 100% on Jean Grey and yet we have totally different takeaways, sure, right? Sure. Uh, so back to X-Men 22, they they go to the movies together after this little awkward encounter on the street and then they go back to Vera and Candy's apartment for like potato chips and soda, which is probably all they could fucking afford because they're two working girls in New York City. Yeah. And uh, uh, Hank suggests they listen to the Beethoven concert. And Vera says, that's what I like about you, Hank. You're so refined. Like she respects a man who who likes some classical music. But there's a radio report about the X-Men that comes on and Hank starts acting real fucking weird. Like, hey, me and Bobby better go back to our hotel. We need to take some tranquilizers. Like I'm feeling a little unnerved, which is just such an elaborate lie. Like you could say, oh, I left my stove on and that's all it takes. But there's this whole story and you, you can just tell Vera sees right through this. Like this guy is absolutely making up some shit. Beer is like, are you trying to make me be your beard for like your relationship with Bobby? Like, that's what I would think for sure. Uh, I'd be like, you're gay, right? Like Hank whispers to Bobby, like a poor excuse is better than none, Bobby boy. And Vera is pissed. When Zelda asks where the boys are going, she says to the moon for all I care. care. (laughs) Got hand on her hip. She is over it. Like it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic to see her respond with disdain. Yeah, this kind of goes away as time goes on because I think that she just gets so addled by like all of the lies and all of the too much charm and like all of the fun guy and all of the you see me for who I really am kind of stuff. But like in the beginning, she's just like, you know what? 
I've had it and just is absolutely no, not afraid to just walk away from this one. And there may be more dates off the records, but I'm kind of picturing this as their second date. So if you, if you take it just in order, X-Men 24, there's a mention that Hank misses a date with her. And then in X-Men yeah. 27, they try again. They take Vera and Zelda out for street hot dogs. Uh, Hank knows he's like, he's pissed this girl off. He says, uh, may I offer you a <laughs> sumptuous Frankfurter, Vera? In the token worst. of gratitude for your forgiveness of my abrupt departure from our last date. And Vera is wearing this adorable little yellow dress with like a little black pussy bow. And she's like, you may, only, excuse me, you may only, who said you're forgiven? And uh, uh, Bobby then realizes, oh, fuck, we don't have any money. So Zelda has to pay for the fucking hot dogs. No, no. Vera, no. Is, Vera is not <laughs> letting him off the hook. She turns back and she goes, now about those walkouts, Mr. McCoy. Like, uh, right, two times, two times, or excuse me, one time is a crisis, three times is a pattern. She has noticed the pattern. Hank is clutching his hot dog. He looks nervous and he goes, you must endeavor to understand, beauteous one. Uh. The factors which control my life are many and varied. Circumstances, exclamation point. Events, exclamation point. The tug and sway of history, exclamation point. Uh, oh, I somehow sense you are unimpressed by my verbal virtuosity and impressed she is not. Uh, things get crazy in a second, but tell me about uh, Vera and Hank's exchange here. It's a wonderful. I am so beyond appalled that they're making Zelda pay for the hot dogs. <laughs> I am like, I cannot get over it. You're an ancient dude and you're making her pay. Like, And also living oh in a billionaire's God. mansion an hour north of the city while she's in like an apartment working like her ass off. I am appalled by this. Like, I can't get over this. I just can't. Zelda <laughs> like, is this putting is... up with like sexual harassment from Bernard the Poet every day to get her tips. <laughs> I am disgusted. But that's the thing. You really start to be like, these guys aren't planning for a future with these girls, right? Like, and I think that Hank, as we noted, is pretty good at lying. So I think that he, again, is going to smooth this over with Vera. But at the very least, like I said, she's still trying to draw boundaries. She's still trying to be like, hey, buddy, like, what the hell, you know? And to her benefit, like, yeah, what the hell? Like, you vanish and then you come back like, oh, but you're so beautiful. Like, you're so wonderful. Oh, it's not and even you're so beautiful. It's hello, beauteous one. Beauteous one, which is like perhaps the most obnoxious way to say. <laughs> I've, shared, I've, shared this, I've shared this on the podcast before, but I have a brother who uh, I, I assume my family does not listen to my podcast ever. He's He's kind of an awful human being. And he, uh, he does not treat women well. He never has. And he will use very large words on a regular basis to try to impress people. And, oh. and uh, it's, it's like the kind of thing where if you call to leave and you like listen to his voicemail, it's like salutations from the elder specimen of the, like he'll use the, it's, it's ridiculous. And Beast reminds <laughs> me of sometimes. So sometimes I find Beast charming and sometimes I want to punch him in the fucking face because he, he reminds me of my brother, which is not a compliment. And we've all known like that person in academia that's always kind of just like, oh, it's just like there's something about like somebody having to front, you know, like there's always something about somebody trying to manipulate you because they're using big words. It's like we all have we all know big words, you know, like we're writers like we know 
we know the, our way around the vocabulary, but you also have to meet people where they're at and like not be, I don't know, a pretentious asshole. <laughs> so I think that that's kind of how he reads through all of this, where you're just like, there's, there's being smart is good. Reading a lot is good. Using those things as armor to deflect from any criticism is bad. <laughs> and that's what he does. So yeah, she asks him a direct question and he literally evades and then literally, literally evades. There's a bank robbery yeah. across the street and Bobby and Iceman, uh, excuse me, Bobby and Beast disappear. And they uh, just got to go make out and then have sex in this alley over here. So like, um, so yeah. 30, 30 seconds after she tries to, to get serious, he like evades her and then runs off. And uh, once the robbery is fixed, they come back and uh, Zelda's like, where the fuck were you? And Hank goes, we must humbly beg your respective indulgences, ladies. But Vera ah. is exasperated. <laughs> she goes, never mind, Hank. If you explain, we'll never understand you. And the date is over. Yeah. So at this point, if you were like actually dating this guy, it's it's been a couple weird happenstances evasiveness weirdness and now it's like fucking over after you bought your own damn hot dogs on the street uh i would be done i'm picturing in between this and her next appearance vera's gone on a handful of pretty shitty dates yeah and hank has called her like 35 times that's yep. not that's not in canon but i'm i'm assuming she's like oh god i'm tired of dating yeah let's do it let's go out again that's how it reads and like that to me it still just indicates like further manipulation on his part but yeah it's 100% like that where she's just like these dudes want to date me but they all act like hank except for not as smart you know so like they don't want to listen to classical music and they're still like that annoying right so I think that that's her thing is, is that she does date around. I felt the same a lot with like Candy with Warren, right? Where you're just like, these two are clearly more into each other. Like there's no denying the like sexual chemistry between Candy and Warren at any point in their relationship. Like you can tell that they really both are super into each other. Warren might be into other people. Candy might be into other people my cats sorry they're like leaping <laughs> all over the place every there's no podcast recording that goes without my cats just like and rabbits just going off the walls <laughs> my dog so, is behind two doors there's no way for him to get in <laughs> you try but then what they do is they'll like they claw at the door super loudly and stuff like, they're just like <laughs> the, i like know. i like cats i think they're cute it's all right are they um, <laughs> So then no, we kidding. I love then we course. jump to their third bad date. Uh, X-Men number 31, Zelda and Vera meet the boys at the Coffee A Go Go. Uh, Vera is gorgeous in green. They're listening to Bernard the Poet, who may or may not have the mutant power to make you believe that his poetry is amazing. But Vera compares uh, Bernard, who's just awful, to uh, to Bob Dylan. I think that everybody is just on drugs, right? Like I, I'm trying to make it be this thing. I'm like, they're just high. Like they think that he's awesome because they're just high. The fact that like Bob Dylan can rhyme hey and way is amazing to people in the 60s. He literally, he's like reading his wife's, his ex-wife's shopping list. And like, that's the poem. Uh, I I did a whole episode about beatnik poetry. I won't make you go back there with me today, but it's, uh, it's awful. Can <laughs> you imagine being 
Bernard the Poet's ex-wife. Like, what a nightmare. Can you imagine how many poems he's written about her? And how he uses it to meet new women? He's just Mm -hmm. like, oh, God. Can you imagine how many teenage girls he's taken home from the Café Agogo? Like, Corey Corey and I did a whole thing about this guy. And I'm like, ew, he's gross by the end. I kind of loved him. And at the end, I was like, no, he's gross. There's this iconic (laughs) panel of Vera and Hank out on the dance floor. And they are... They're dancing, the bongos are going. There's these giant like letters that go bongity bong bomb. Uh, Vera is cutting a goddamn rug. And she tells, and it's cute. She goes, I thought you said you couldn't do the monkey, Hank. You're a natural. Like she's actually having fun with this guy. And he goes, is that intended as a compliment or an insult? And just when they're like finally having like their first five seconds of fun, uh, Beast and Bobby run off again. They don't even make any aspersions. They, they don't even try to make excuses. Like Zelda is super annoyed. And Vera goes, I could understand being stood up, but in the middle of a date, like this is your third try. They just fucking did it again. Like, oh my God, tell me your thoughts on this scene. I think we're, what we're seeing is at this point, you know, sometimes whenever somebody is so awful that you can't believe it you're like kind of in shock about it or something and you're like there has to be an explanation for this because their behavior doesn't add up and it's like they're going in so many different directions so you're confused and like that's when they kind of are able to be like hey I missed you you know or something because it's like you're just so baffled by it like I've definitely dated people like that where I was like Okay, but you said five different things that mean different things, but like, okay, I guess, you know, I'm not doing anything else tonight, so I guess I'll go out with you. Um, yeah, I don't know. I It's like, as you know, we wish we could go back and be like, Vera, no, but I also wish that about my past self sometimes, <laughs> where you're like, just walk away right now. This is the moment. Get out of there. This is not going to get better. I have certainly, um, I've certainly dated a lot of people over the years who like, maybe they're newly out and they're still figuring things out, or they like, will tell you one thing and then mean something else you know like yeah I really like you but then they're dating five other people but I've also dated guys who are just fucking lying they like secretly got a husband or they like have some sort of like six kids at home they didn't want to tell me and they're just fucking lying and that's how Beast is treating Vera here he is just outright lying about being a mutant and at a certain point it's not okay any longer like uh she's she's charming about it but the second they finally have fun for 30 seconds she gets to dance and relax a little bit and then he is gone Um, But the very next issue, she shows up for Bobby's 18th birthday party. And this is the iconic first appearance of Candy Southern meeting the rest of of the X-Men. But Um, listen to the chemistry between Candy and Warren off of the bat compared to every other couple is like, that's kind of what makes it clear, right? Is, Is that you see Candy and Warren immediately like just like what's up and like making great jokes with each other and you just know that these two are like it's like so many things happen down the line but if you read these issues here you'd be like these two are just in game like they're just always going to be in love and if they were if Candy was still here today they'd probably be in love today right like all of the things but with like Vera and Zelda and I think also Jean and Scott you're just kind of like 
this isn't working for any of you. <laughs> like, well, I think I think Zelda falls into the trap that a lot of girls do where, you know, you meet a really nice guy with good manners and they're super gay, but you're like, oh, I actually am meeting a nice guy now. And it clearly never works for them. The he's only not way- always hounding me for sex. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he's not, is he? The only way Vera and Hank work is if Vera puts Hank first. You are my top priority. I will be here for you no matter what. We're going to get into this a little bit more, but I will be here for you no matter what. But we're at this we're at this birthday party. They meet Candy Southern. They meet Scott and Jean and Angel. And uh, Vera immediately, like no conversation. She just grabs Hank and pulls him back out to the dance floor. Like, let's just go have fun again. Uh, she calls him the perfect beast, which is adorable. Uh, but a weird ridiculousness happens again. And this is almost the same story as the mimic one. Some guy named Rocky Rhodes flirted with Zelda. She said no. And now he has returned with his motorcycle gang, the Satan Saints. They crash through the fucking window. There are antics. They're riding around the table. All of the X-Men have to like fight these guys off without like showing that they're actually mutants. But Hank is like super agile. And uh, after the fight is over, he says, Vera, I suppose you're wondering how I inquired such intimate, good good Lord, that's a hard word, inimitable agility, eh? And she goes, not at all. I assumed you've been watching old Tarzan movies on TV again. What is Vera thinking? Like motorcycle gang attacks, this guy who can dance is like kicking people, like swinging from like door tops. Like what is she thinking here? I just think she doesn't want to hear it from this guy anymore. She's like, if we want, if you... I'll keep dancing if you want to keep dancing like just shut up I don't want to hear because he's like setting her up like oh I bet you want to know more and she's like I don't actually (laughs) shut up every time we go anywhere somebody attacks us I just don't want to hear it I thought of that I also wondered if maybe she's like a little turned on like again he's a cute guy she just watched him swing and kick and she's like no let's not talk about it I'm just into it she mentions Tarzan like let's go put like a loincloth on you and let's just fuck and just like not talk anymore because I'm literally like birds. she's literally like <laughs> like quiet don't say more just let me dress up. you up at home and we're not we're done with the conversation part yeah of just <laughs> don't say another thing because I will leave <laughs> Um, things, uh, things kind of fizzle down between them after that Vera comes back in number 41 she and Hank are on the subway with Bobby uh and zelda and uh the monster grotesque attacks and uh i'm doing an episode on grotesque in just a minute i just finished you my have research. to well i just finished my research on him and i kind of love him but we'll get to him in a in my episode with steve duda coming up uh vera is in a red and black floral top uh hank and bobby have disappeared again during this like lights out on the subway moment when grotesque is attacked and all he needs to do is tell her that he's beast like just trust her enough to say Look, I'm part of this team and things happen. And I think she would- You've gotten attacked five times. Like literally at this point, you are putting her in danger by not telling her this. Like you should tell her. Like there's, that's the thing. Like they always use that excuse of, oh, well, I don't want to put my loved ones and family in danger. And it's like, you are putting them in danger by lying to them. Like that's the danger now. Like maybe in the beginning you were keeping people safe, but now it's just to cover your own ass. So I don't, I don't think that that holds. Well, and Vera like just attacks him at this point. She's yeah. like, she's like, what about you, Mr. McCoy? Because uh, he says we need to end our date. 
So she she just yells at him. I don't hear from you for weeks, and then you suddenly announce you're cutting our date short. And he says, "Believe me, fair Vera, words cannot suffice to express my sincerity. <laughs> you just have to trust me when I say something came up. Boo! And it's my dick, and Bobby and I need to go into an alley somewhere. That's it. <laughs> I'm just like that's. I would never. I don't know if I were in Vera's position, I'd be like, just go fuck Bobby. <laughs> like I would be done. But then it's like, yeah, you could have just said, but then of course uh, this era beast would be like, oh no, I would never like that's uh, like, you know, he would like lose his mind just even thinking about it. I think even now beast is probably just now in his head being like, maybe I kind of like dudes sometimes because I am terrible to women right like I think that that's like today 2022 we're starting to see like a beast that could accept he is bisexual back then no way he's like all about super masculine posturing at this point so I don't think it would have crossed his mind oh we needed I don't know why it hasn't crossed Vera's mind right we need a teenage Jean Grey to out beast for us like (laughs) she's like um sorry i'm just getting a psychic signal you two want to fuck like (laughs) like, there's a whole catalog in your brain it's naked (laughs) yeah i did not need to be a psychic actually to know that bobby was gay but (laughs) so i'm almost picturing the same scenario vera's done beast just again this is not canon but he just keeps calling please give me one more try please 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 x-men 47 you see her out on another date with him still over it She's in a green coat. She's rocking another cute, like little pussy bow. Uh, they go to see the new sensation, the Maha Yogi, who is my least favorite X Men villain of all time. This fucking the, the war, like fucking hate this guy. Hate him. Uh, they they but they they invite them to the show, but then they get there and the boys don't have tickets and it's sold out. And so they're like, well, let's go to the Cafe Agogo instead. And you gotta just know Hank's being like, oh fuck, 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 fuck. I'm messing it up again. But when they get to the Cafe Agogo, like some boys pick a fight and like. Bobby knocks the lights out and they fight the bullies. And when the lights come back on, Vera is like, where were you boys when the lights went out? And Hank says, we had a very important meeting under a table. Good one. <laughs> we went to hook up real fast while you were gone. Good one. It's, it's yeah. Oof. Uh, they end up getting tickets to the Mahayogi, uh, which this guy, um, God, here's Hank says to Vera as they sit down, like let's get in out of the mayhem a wondrous wench like he's stretching his like calling someone female might be charming but you delve into wench and it's not okay um the mahayogi hypnotizes the crowd vera and zelda are just zapped along with everyone else but when they finally like wake up from this hypnosis hank and bobby are missing again uh vera walks out in a fury with zelda she's almost like talking to herself it seems like and she's like the boys have done it again stood us up do you ever feel like you were caught in a recurring nightmare and zelda goes here i go again pawing through my purse for two tokens i am furious furious and then here come bobby and hank they come running in bobby says see hank what did i tell you they'd wait the women women bless their gentle souls are so understanding full of sugar and spice and everything nice and hank goes and forgiving too especially forgiving uh zelda says ignore these con men save the sob story don't bother telling us how lucky we are to have missed the best part of the show somehow maybe deep in the wilds of brooklyn two girls may exist who will believe anything you irresponsible clowns say the boys try to charm the girls and they promise to take them to the Copa. 
but they realize they don't have any money. So they go back to the Cafe Agogo and that's it. That's their last date. Uh, we get kind of one retroactive eight we'll talk about in a second, but Vera gives them another chance and she is done right from the start. The lights go out. Where did you fucking go? They go to the show and the guys are gone. Where did you fucking go? Again, all they have to do is say like, look, we've got this thing going on. And I think Vera would be understanding, but she is done. She's been done since the second date. And sometimes you just have to go out with the same shitty person six times before you realize you're done, 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 done. So uh, tell me your thoughts on this, uh, this encounter with the Mahayogi. Get out of there. I'm so glad that she is drawing lines. I'm just like, get get out of there especially the fact that like they always leave them stranded it's not even that like they're like stranded in new york i wouldn't do that to my enemy you know like that's kind of the thing is like there's no care really for like what happens to them like they keep putting them in these dangerous positions and then they're like let's go fight the baddie but like they're not really looking out for them like they're not really you know like oh you'll find your own way home. Right. You know, like that's gross. Like that behavior is gross. Like I go out with like a friend and have a beer and I'm like, how are you getting home? You know, like that's always something that you have to be wary of. And I know that like, perhaps like women and queer people have to be more wary of it. So that would explain why I'm more wary of it, but like, it's also just kind of good manners to be like, so how are you getting home after this? You know, mm -hmm. like even if she's yelling at you, you could at least be like, listen, you can be upset. Like, I just want to know that you're going to get home safely or anything like that. But that's the thing. He wants her to forgive him. He doesn't care what happens to her. And like, that's kind of what I hate so much about it is like, it's, he wants to be forgiven without reconciliation process. He wants to be forgiven without doing any work. And he wants to be forgiven because it boosts his ego, but it's like, and he doesn't want somebody to be mad at him, but he doesn't actually want to take care of her. He doesn't right. want to see that she's in a good place. He, do, he doesn't care about her. Like he cares what she thinks of him and that's it. Right. Vera is mostly used kind of as a gag character here. She's like the tough girl who calls Hank on his shit. They, they show up once in a while. The X-Men have their bigger adventures and then they're kind of just dropped without a word. They don't really say much. You have to kind of read between the lines and like look for the motivation. But the reason I love her is because of her sass, her willingness to talk back, her willingness to say, I'm fucking over you, like I'm done. Now, if I'm picturing this in a real world context, we've got this like girl who moves to the city and it's expensive and it's rough. And she's been like attacked on the street more than once. And she's tried dating and nothing is fucking working. And I'm seeing her like getting cynical about dating at this point in my mind. And she's like, you know what? I am done. I'm just ready for something serious. Like we've all been there, right? Like she's, she's over trying anything. That is the only motivation I can find for her dedicating herself to Calvin or Mimic, uh, which we'll talk about in just a second. But uh, we see her like two more times retroactively insert, inserted into continuity. One is the Marvel Holiday Special 1994, which you and I got to review with Connor and Annalise uh, about Metoxo, where we see her be, see Vera very, very briefly. She's got her purple coat and her pussy bow on. Uh, she sees Metoxo uh, attacking and like warns everybody. And then like Hank later gives her a geode that he gets from like Subterranea. And uh, she's like, oh, it's a great gift. He's like, I thought you liked geology. Uh, and it's like very passing. It's hard to know exactly where that fits into the continuity. Uh, and then we also see her very briefly in X-Men, The Hidden Years number two in year 2000. John Byrne shows us uh, an image of Vera sleeping while Bobby and Zelda are arguing in the next room. 
uh and then like vera or vera and zelda like call candy southern for a second and that like that's like all we see her which is ironically her most recent appearance in the year 2000 but it's set back in the past so before we get into her relationship with uh with mimic what are your thoughts on uh kind of the roundup of her relationship with hank in these early years he's such a nightmare <laughs> it's almost just like yeah i don't know i wish that we got more of Zelda and Vera at their apartment. I think that it would be fun just to kind of see more of them. I don't like that it is so much about Hank and Bobby because we don't really see the counterpart, right? Like we see that they're both together and they're both dating these guys, but we don't see their friendship at all. And I think that that is a big missing piece of this whole era because it's like, you see that they're both kind of dealing with ancient dudes, but like you don't see anything about like, what do you like about each other? How long have you been friends? Like you're both Jewish. So, you know, in my head canon. So like, you know, like, how did you meet? You know, like all of this kind of stuff. I think that there's just a lot of question marks that makes it be kind of like, it's a huge missed opportunity because these stories would be better with it. I think like it would be easier to digest some of the stuff that Hank and Bobby pull if you were just like these girls have their own lives they're going through like doing their own things and like here's what their relationship with their jobs and here's their relationship with each other and like here's like what their friendship even reads like because you really don't get a good sense of it in the same way that you do see how Bobby and Hank play off of each other right it makes I... sense because they're the X-Men right so like of course we're seeing more of them but we see none of the Zelda and Vera interactions beyond like what capacity they serve for the guys. And I think that that's kind of a bummer. I want to see like a Vera, Zelda, Candy, Jean and Lorna, like Sex in the City, 1960s story. Like, I think it would be adorable. I just wrote it, like I said at the beginning, I wrote a short story about these three. I don't know if it will ever go anywhere, but like, I really, really genuinely love them and love them during this era. Um, we next see Vera in Amazing Adventures 13 through 16, which is one of Steve Englehart's kind of first big assignments at Marvel. They're taking Beast, they've turned him into kind of a mad scientist guy. He is experimenting on himself and he's grown blue fur, gray fur initially, and he's wearing like a latex suit uh, of like human skin, like a mask over his fur and like a big heavy overcoat and like people don't realize when he's in this suit that he's not a human, which is weird to me. I even asked Steve about this and he's like, yeah, I don't overthink it. Um, <laughs> Vera, Vera has uh, wound up in a relationship with Calvin Rankin. And again, what I said before, I think she's just she, like, this is the only option. I just like, I'm tired of this city shitting all over me. Let me be, go be with this guy who he is in the throes of like bipolar disorder and uh and we'll learn about like what's happened to him in just a second but like i do not recognize this vera uh she like is is taking care of calvin like setting her own needs aside very consistently um yeah, we'll get to that in just a second so it's 1972 vera shows up in uh in at the brand corporation looking for hank and she's kind of like the mystery shadowy girl for a couple for a minute and then uh, he, she like is watching him. He's interacting with like Patsy Walker and Linda Donaldson. And like, she's wondering like, oh, he's moved on to these people. 
she keeps missing him. She finally, uh, she finally meets him. She's in this like gorgeous pink little mini dress and she's blonde for some reason in part of this story. And she asks Hank to come to Canada with her. She can't tell him why. She just needs his biochemistry skills. She has no idea he is the beast. She just knows he's very smart and he's done this like certain kind of research. So they get in a car. You're driving with a 300 pound like furry man wearing a coat and latex. I don't know how the fuck she does not realize that he's in some sort of ridiculous costume. There's a side adventure. The car breaks down in Rutland, Vermont, of all places, and Juggernaut attacks. Uh, Hank still is not honest with her at all. Uh, and then the book is canceled. So we have to pick up with this story in uh, in 1973, Incredible Hulk number 161. Uh, Steve Englehart shows Vera and Hank at the Canadian border. Uh, the border station is closed, but it's like an emergency. We're running late. The whole planet could be in danger. So Hank just knocks her out with a nerve pinch, like throws her over his shoulder, changes into the beast form, jumps past the police and over the, the, the border. And then when she wakes up, he's back in his disguise and he's like, sorry, I had to knock you out. And she's like, whatever, I fucking trust you. I'm not even mad. Like, I just need your help. And they go to this like remote cabin where the mimic is waiting. And I'm just gonna cover this story really quickly and then let's like break it apart for a second. So we learned that like Vera and Calvin have been living up here. Uh, Calvin can mimic other people. She knows all about his superpowers. She's not phased, but he had lost his powers. And so she, now like his powers have reactivated and they have kicked in and they're like starting to drain life from people. He's like killing people. I don't know how Vera is safe from that. Like, especially if they're sexually active, he's like drawing on people from afar which is some sort of attention getting measure on his part, I think, like he's, he's, he's the worst. Uh, but now like he's worried that his powers are gonna kick in so much that he might like actually like really harm people or even like be dangerous to the planet. So that's why Vera has run to get Hank. Uh, Calvin shows Beast all of, or Hank all of his equipment that he and Vera have purchased. We learn that she has pulled her entire savings account together, all of her savings to buy this equipment to help Calvin uh, stabilize his powers. Uh, and then Hank runs like this experiment right as the Hulk like randomly lands on their cabin. He's running from the army and Vera gets knocked out and uh, there's a massive battle. Calvin like draws on Hulk's powers. Vera's not present for any of it. And uh, it, basically the cabin gets destroyed and, and we believe that Calvin is dead. Uh, so Vera wakes up like all this shit is gone. Like what the fuck happened? I let Hank back into my life and look what the fuck happened. And uh, then she's gone out of continuity for like eight years. So let's break apart this story for a couple of minutes. Tell me your thoughts on Vera, what's happening with her here and what happens to her. Yeah, I mean, I just think that there's not too much to say. I think that they just decided that um, this was like she's um, like the piece of the plot that moves the plot along basically the fact that she does end up with mimic here I think is her just reeling from the fact I mean you know how it is if you've been with somebody who's inconsistent and a huge liar then like the person who's constantly just like I'm so consistent and like I'm so into you like and now I'm kind of sweet because like you know I like I made a mistake like I came on too strong like all of that kind of stuff I think she's just exhausted from Hank, honestly, and that like all of the inconsistencies with him made it be like easier for her to accept a relationship where somebody was just super there, 
even if the there-ness meant that he was like a controlling asshole who constantly needs your attention and I, I think Calvin to subdue yourself in the same exact ways that Hank did we saw we saw Vera when Calvin's mad Vera just tells him to shut the fuck up like I'm not having it but this is a Calvin who's like very needy he's like very depressed and down and it's almost like, and I think we've all had relationships like this, frankly, where you like fall into a pattern with somebody where they make you feel like you are their everything. It's, it's abusive, it's manipulative, but he's also like, I would die without you. Like I have nobody, you're the only person for me. And they end up in this like isolated cabin. She is like, I mean, he may even have Professor X or Jean's telepathy to be manipulating her, frankly. But uh, I mean, in a real world example, I can think of like really strong independent men and women that I know that fall into this type of relationship where they just will do everything. She, she like maxes out her savings. She's like, it's her only purpose in life is to like save this guy. And then while she's unconscious, he just, he just is dropped. He just drops dead. Like he's out of the picture and like, holy fuck. Like this is Vera hitting absolute bottom. Like, yeah. I gave up everything. I started this life over and now what the fuck? And we get to see her get her groove back in a minute. But like, uh, this is a rough story for her. I do love that Steve brought her back as like a callback to the 60s books. Like, even if she's a plot device here, I do I do like that she shows up here. Uh, and I have kind of a sympathetic understanding of her because I've been in that type of relationship before. Especially when you're reeling from a totally different kind of manipulation. You know, we've seen- And we're she's all, young, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're all susceptible to manipulation. I, when people act like they're not, I'm always like, you are such a mark. Like you are going to get taken for everything you're worth. Like the second a master manipulator enters your life, because you have to acknowledge that you're susceptible. If you don't, then you believe that nobody can get the drop on you. And you believe that everybody else who's manipulated is just foolish or like weak or something. And that you're extra strong as a result. We're all pretty much the same level of strong, you know, like that's kind of the deal with humans is like that we're not we're unique, we're individual, but we're not so individual, right? That like things like brainwashing don't work on us you know it's like you could be patty hurst in patty hurst shoes like that's kind of i always think this stuff because you know i read a lot about cults and stuff and what i've always come to realize about is you know people that join cults they're not joining cults right like they're joining a church they're joining a group they're joining like you know all of this thing other people have said this that's not my quote but I always think about that because I think about it. I think it applies in all of our human relationships that it's like, we're all manipulative and we're all susceptible to manipulation. We all manipulate ourselves. We all manipulate other people on some level. And you just have to be aware of it because if you're not aware of it, you become a monster, right? Like, or I'm almost, you are I'm almost picturing like a passing moment with Calvin and Vera where he's like, boy, I wonder what you'd look like blonde. And then she immediately just goes out and buys hair dye to, to dye her hair. That's a form of manipulation. It's yeah. someone who is like using particular tactics. That is not part of canon, but that's 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 how in my mind canon, that's how she turned out blonde for a minute. It fully like, I, reads I wonder that what way. you'd look like in a shorter dress. And suddenly she's like, you know, making dinner and like setting the table. Uh, I, Making I, comments about other girls like, oh, that short dress, like, I don't think you'd ever wear something like that. Or like, you know, those like weird, like little subtle things. Maybe he doesn't intend them to be manipulative, but they are still manipulative, right? Like that's kind of the thing. And you see that 
I think this relationship is interesting because of that, because you go, this is like Vera who was already massively manipulated. So what is, what's real at this point to her, you know? And then she goes into this one that's differently manipulative. It's just kind of a nightmare. Well, and Calvin is another character who is like hinted at to be gay, particularly later during the Weapon Omega story where he's got this team up with, is that guy's name Michael Pointer? If I'm remembering right, uh, the, the, guy, the guy that was the collective that took all of the Scarlet Witch's oh. crazy energy and was Weapon Omega and they joined the Dark X-Men together. Right. <laughs> and then they were like at the Jean Grey school for a minute. Like it's it's kind of queer coded there too. Uh, Calvin, we'll, again, I'll get into Calvin another time, but uh, Vera shows up next in 1981 and Beast has gone through some big changes. It's a new decade, which means a new Beast again. He has uh, embraced his blue furriness he is jumping all over the place. He's part of the Avengers. He has come out publicly, not only as Hank McCoy, the Beast, but as a mutant who's like part of this like premier super team in New York City. Beast is at his high moment. He is full ego. Girls spawn over him. He's selling his merchandise in the Avengers store. Uh, he is loving his life. And so J.M. Jam DeMatteis, who's one of my favorite uh, Marvel writers ever, in Avengers 209, we, we learned that Vera has run into Hank in Soho. She's in a plaid shirt and tan pants. Beast is all blue and furry and out, and suddenly they are dating again. And it's like a fascinating decision on her part, but maybe she's seeing like everything she loved about Beast in the in the initial place. Now she's making sense of it. Like, oh, this is why he used to disappear. This is a guy who's funny and confident. Maybe she's even like into dating a celebrity a little bit, which is kind of fun. But after like, you uh, have the distance on Calvin and after you have the distance on your past, it's like that must put things in a totally different perspective for her. And yeah, now she's a little older. She's in her mid 20s. She's back in the city. Like, let's try something serious out for a minute. Uh, and uh, mistake for not to be a terrible decision like first thing she goes to visit him at Avengers Mansion she meets Wonder Man and Vision and Scarlet Witch and like they're all like noticing Beast fawn over her like Beast leaps off the couch in joy like he's just fucking doing flips all the time it's really kind of insufferable frankly he knocks Jarvis down as he brings tea in the room uh, Jarvis gives Vera some tea and he's worried about her and she goes don't fret Jarvis it's taken time but I've grown accustomed to Hank's more obstreperous qualities if he wasn't so energetic I don't think he'd be half as cute which is kind of adorable actually she's like willing to put up with this shit because it's it's uh but it turns out the tea has been poisoned so her first appearance back and she is poisoned and Jarvis is actually not Bye. Jarvis it's a scroll a scroll oh, no. So poisoned before, by a scroll really before we get into what happens to her as a result of this decision to date beast uh tell me your thoughts on uh on the reformation of their relationship it's basically that i think that it i can see why she does it like i can see why this is like something where she goes you know what water under the bridge it's been years I know that whenever I was like 25, I started dating my teenage person again. And it was like, all of the things that were bad were worse, you know, but like, you didn't know that going in because you were like, oh, well, like, I haven't really connected with anybody else in the same way. We're different people. Like we've grown, you know, like all of those things. Hank has not grown actually. Like Hank is acting like he's the fun guy, there's still evil beast underneath that veneer, right? Like all of his bad personality traits are still very much on lock. And 
I think that her personality trait of giving people too much the benefit of the doubt is still on lock. So yeah, yeah. it's just a massively toxic, you know, combination at this point. Um, but I see because in the in those first moments, it does look fun. It looks like they're gonna have a great time. It looks like the connection is still there. Like you can see kind of a sexual chemistry that I don't think we've ever seen between yeah, them. Yeah. Like and Hank is at his best, you know, like this is the best version of him. You never see a better version of him. Yeah, this is him when he's having fun. He's happy with himself. He's not he's lying not, every fucking five he's seconds. He's not trying to control the narrative. That's it, right? Like he's actually kind of taking a step back, but you still get the feeling that he doesn't see Vera for who she is, right? We also learn here that Vera is very open-minded. Not only yeah. is she willing to date a mutant, which, you know, the mutant phobia of it all, I suppose, but this is a blue furry guy with fangs for fuck's sake. And she's, she's willing to try it out. Like, uh, yeah, let's see what happens. I'm yeah. always fascinated by that decision. Like uh, there's multiple women who have dated this guy who's just like straight blue fur gorilla guy. And I'm like, oof, like I would not care for that in the bedroom, but they're into it. Yeah, yeah. He even makes jokes about like clogging the shower drain and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know what? He is the guy who wouldn't clean the shower drain after he clogged it, right? Like, and it's blue. He's that the fur is blue. <laughs> like, you could tell who it was, man. Um, yeah, no, the whole thing. It's a very interesting time because um, if anything, you're just like, man, I do wish better for Vera. But you also are like, yeah, I can see it. I totally get it. The fact that she is so open-minded and accepting, I think is awesome because that it, it shows that from the very beginning, he always could have told her who he was and she might've- That's like, the worst, right? Mm -hmm. That's the worst part of it. It's like, you never had to do any of this. You never had to treat her the way that you did and you did. And that's um, awful. Zelda and it's for ongoing. Sure, it's, it's Zelda not for yet. sure would have been Bobby's friend if she knew he was gay. I think Vera for sure would have dated Hank if she'd known he was a mutant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Candy was cool with Warren too. Like it just, uh, they just, they didn't give her the chance. But now it's too late. Like this scroll has poisoned her. Uh, he reveals that Vera is going to die. She's like fallen into this like death-like coma. And the scroll is trying to manipulate the Avengers into going to space and getting something called the Resurrection Stone. I'm not going to delve into it a whole bunch. Go read the issue. It's actually pretty good. Uh, but the scroll keeps Vera in a tube. Uh, in the end, they do retrieve the Resurrection Stone. But Beast realizes that if the scroll gets it, like people are going to die. Uh, which is something fucking beast later will just kill people because so he, he, he's worse than the scroll but he destroys the resurrection stone which means vera is doomed uh she can't get out of this like death coma she's not dead she's not alive she's just stuck so they take her to mr fantastic uh she's in a state of non-life he says and he just basically puts her into suspended animation until they can maybe find a cure uh, and we'll see J.M. DeMatteis pick up this story in Defenders the next year. But like, what a sad story. And I think the ultimate driver here is to give reason, uh, readers uh, a reason to sympathize with Beast. It gives him some motivation, like some tragedy behind this like happy-go-lucky exterior. But like for our Vera, this is awful. Like what a terrible thing. You were back for five seconds. <laughs> like You got poisoned immediately. You're in a death state, like, ah, uh, awful. 
Vera, <laughs> this is the point where it's like, after this, you've got to say no, right? But then we keep going, so. Yeah, don't date this guy anymore. But you know, again, it's comic books. Karen Page keeps dating Daredevil. Pepper Potts keeps dating Tony Stark. Mary Jane keeps dating Spider-Man. It's uh, it's what our women do. These these are, we have to find our reasons. But uh, J.M. DeMatteis picks the story up again in Defenders, starting with number 105 and running through the next couple years-ish. Uh, Beast, oh, Oh, please. Can I take one second? I got to yeah, like yeah. grab some water or something. I yeah, didn't yeah. realize I wasn't going to be talking um, as much as I have, <laughs> though I should have been more prepared for this. Yeah, let's reconvene uh, in a couple minutes. Yeah, give me like two minutes. Uh, so Vera shows back up in uh, the Defenders run with J.M. Dave Mateus writing. A Beast has consulted with Doctor Strange and Mr. Fantastic. They're trying really hard to find a cure for this like scroll tea poison, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, they pick up the fragments of the resurrection stone that Beast had shattered, and they're trying to find Vera with it, but they're like unsuccessful. They have to destroy the shards. Uh, so Hank is saying goodbye to Vera, and here's his here's his phrase. He's like, done everything he can, even though, whatever. <laughs> I don't think he has. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. He says, it's over, Vera, this time for good. I tried, honey, maybe not hard enough, but blasted I tried and I blew it. Uh, which is, he's just like taking it on himself. He's not really grieving so much as like sad that his ego didn't work. I don't know. This is all about me. And yeah. now you're gone. Goodbye. <laughs> I finally, I finally had a girlfriend who would put me first and then I ruined it. He says, yep. basically. uh, but then the son of Satan comes in, uh, fucking Damon Hellstrom, uh, hey. <laughs> who, who has such a sexy costume though. I love sure. him. He's so great. They really messed him up recently because now he has that like, I don't know. He has like a kind of an unhealthy vibe where you're like, oh, that guy, he's like wearing these like hip hugger leather pants like way later than that would have been a thing. But if he was still just showing up in this outfit, like what's wrong with this? This is classic. Like, was like I think he was like sexy tortured guy now he's like creepy serial killer cult guy it's, that's uh, it yeah, he was yeah. so good and like i mean honestly untouchable like this is one of those characters where i'm like just keep him classic like all of the stuff that's happened with him especially now that he has like an ex-wife of pat you know it's like you just uh i love this guy <laughs> like i want this guy to be in way more things and I want people who love him from like day one to be the ones who are writing him because I feel like he's now he's like magic guy who they kind of like put into places where he would belong and I'm just like go back go back to how he was because this is hilarious <laughs> and his outfit rules and of course like everybody who's attracted to dudes probably would love this guy right he's, like yeah he's pretty i get i get why hellcat marries him <laughs> although he's Pat got tits out him. action going and i'm just like <laughs> look tits out is good for everybody like it doesn't matter what your gender is like he's looking good but he just he uses his like crazy devil hell powers and he just brings vera back which means hey could have just asked this guy the whole time who knows what the impact of like scroll poison stasis and like hell powers has on vera but she seems kind of dazed for a minute. Hank like fucking bounces all over the room. He fully picks her up and she's like, I don't know what happened. I was drinking tea. Uh, and, and Hank just like stays with Vera through his time on the Defenders, at least for a while. They use an I love you now and then. We finally see them kiss for the first time in Defenders number 106. 
Here's an example of like one of their interchanges. Hank is like sugar rush ADHD poster child constantly. And she's like, calm down, Hank. So in, in one in one interaction, he says, oh, fair maiden, tis with a heavy heart that I leave you now, but rest assured, when at last I do return, I'm going to give you so many hugs, your head will spin. And she says, Hank McCoy, you're a lunatic. Do you know that? Uh, and then during these eras, we, like, we get to see her interact with the Defenders some. Like she becomes friends with Thor and Spider-Man and the Silver Surfer and Hellcat and Valkyrie and Nighthawk and Gargoyle and Dolly Donahue, the, uh, the Defenders housekeeper. Uh, and like uh, when, when a couple of them are seemingly killed, she goes to their funeral. She like participates in a seance and like fucking meets the Enchantress who's like the girl version of the son of Satan that you just have to crush on no matter what because she's so fucking I'm obsessed. I love her. That's like the Marvel character where if they, if I ever got into like a pitch meeting, it would be like, let's talk about Amora. because <laughs> like, I have so many things to say. Tell me your thoughts on like uh, Vera's revival and then kind of her kind of just, they're, they're mostly background, but like her interactions with Beast during these like Defenders era. Yeah, I can't believe this guy, right? Like that's it. It's like one of those things where it's like, I feel like she comes across as just being addled because she's like, I literally die. Like I am really just trying to, get back on stable grounding almost and there's a there's a hundred percent uses it to his advantage there's a candid moment where she's talking to dolly and she just goes and i quote these past few weeks have been crazy to say the least she's like saying i was dead now i'm alive basically and she's like now i'm hanging out with all these heroes and then she says and i quote it's a little hard for a librarian to to digest it's almost as if she's reminding i used to have a normal life i got to help people like librarians are my favorite people on the planet sarah they're wonderful <laughs> oh, agree. Yeah, Vera I love represents everything I love about them. But like this girl, like her head is spinning. She's got to just be like whenever I'm in Calvin or Hank's life, my life is insane. And when I'm not, I, my life is normal. Uh, almost as if she's starting to question things a little bit. But she's all in. Like she's invested. It's like where else is she gonna go at this point? That's like why this is. It's like he's so happy with this arrangement, and I think that it's like genuinely disturbing. You know that he's like so thrilled that I always have Vera just waiting for me and it's just like yeah she died (laughs) like because of you kind of and also the fact of like she's totally isolated she doesn't have her own friend group anymore so she's making friends with his friends and like this is like I mean yeah everything about their relationship has just been like red flag after red flag but this is like a hundred red flags like all Mm -hmm. at the same time and she's just tired and the fact too that you get really the sense that he's like really on the prowl for like other women during this era too Uh yeah yeah that you're just like that is so gross like this is really upsetting stuff for me because it's like the defenders this whole era I really enjoy I love this comic I think that he is honestly pretty well written through this era But when you see how he treats Vera during this era, you're just like, this is like genuinely upsetting. You know, like there's a lot of issues with this man. (laughs) So I love, I love how they portray her right after this. It's been a little crazy for a minute, but she starts to develop this version of their relationship where she's like, I can handle all your crazy as long as I feel like I'm a priority to you. And I think, I think, again, we've all been there in certain relationships. Like, I need you to come home to me at the end of the day, and I need you to check in, and I need you to call, and I need to feel like I'm valuable. Otherwise, I have no place. 
So like, here's an example, like Beast comes back from a mission, he's been gone and he immediately runs to spend time with the team and Vera goes, Henry McCoy, it simply amazes me sometimes how insensitive you can be. We haven't had a single moment alone in weeks, but we're having one now, understand? And she drags him off to dinner and like lectures him on the way. She's like, Wanda was right about you. You're like a mischievous little boy. So she's been talking to the Scarlet Witch, <laughs> which is great. Wanda's was- like, no, for real. Like I was on a team with this guy. <laughs> she goes, it's fun and games every minute. You've become the Steve Market of the superhero circuit. Do you know who Steve Market is? No, I didn't know what that meant. I'll I'll cover that reference in just a second, but tell me your thoughts on this relationship between the two of them, like how Vera is claiming her space here. Because right after he says, must you get so heavy? And that is a wild thing to say to Vera at this point. The fact that she's calling him out on how he treats her and he says, why are you being such a bummer just because you died? Like basically is like, whoa. And it's more about how her death affected him. This is like, it's, yeah, I don't know, man. (laughs) I'm just like this time. I'm just like, he's crossed the line into being really kind of scary to her because he's making her be dependent on him he's like yeah this is like this is where you wanted this relationship to go Hank because this is awful and you clearly have no respect really for her and you don't care what she wants at all like this is weird this is like really an upsetting thing because then he like starts sketching on girls like immediately mm-hmm. like while they're having this conversation and it's just like so oh auto- my god autocorrect is my worst enemy and i air these i aired these episodes unedited so you guys get to hear my flub when i was typing this out and i quoted it i typed steve market or it corrected it but actually she says steve martin <laughs> oh she's like you're fucking bouncing around you can never get serious or like the steve martin of the superhero circuit which, oh. make, which makes way more sense i was like steve market who the fuck is that <laughs> i had to go back I don't and know. Your stuff. yeah uh, Hanks okay, was, Steve Martin makes more sense because he is clearly going for that kind of vibe. And Hank's response to her as she says this, she's like, settle the fuck down. He goes, Vera, 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 which automatically three times with the name. God damn it, Hank. You're awful. Yeah. He goes, must you get so heavy? Didn't we have enough heaviness during those weeks? I thought I'd lost you to that scroll poison. Life is made for living to the hilt. So let's cut the profundity. And then a bunch of girls like rush up to Hank just then and like start paying attention to him. And he's like, hey ladies. And she just like walks away in tears. He runs after her and here's his little speech. He's like- I I hate this speech. Do you you wanna read the speech? Look, babe. Ah, (laughs) like it starts, (laughs) look, babe. I know I can be an insensitive jerk sometimes, but you've got to realize the life I lead, hopping between dimensions, fighting creatures off the chiller or out of okay fighting creatures right out of chiller theater can't you see that if i dropped the cheery facade i'd go bonkers it's all about me vera why can't you understand that that he doesn't say that part but that's literally this entire speech and that's not all he's gonna keep going with this she's in tears and this is what he's saying to her vera i'm a mutant Since I was a kid, I stuck out like the proverbial sore thumb. So I developed an interesting skill. I learned how to recreate myself, how to construct new personalities to win people over and protect 
me from them at the same time. Yeah, dude, we know we can see that like Jesus in my X-Men days. That was the Hank McCoy you first met. The guy who hid behind a smoke screen of big words and big ideas. You still do that. <laughs> like, oh my God. Okay. But inside I was always the same scared kid. I always was like, how dare he? I hate this speech. I thought I was beginning to find myself when I left Professor Xavier's school and went out on my own. But then I was accidentally turned into this overgrown Muppet and I was back to square one. Yeah, you did it you to did yourself, that to yourself. <laughs> like, This is the most infuriating speech I've ever read. My whole world fell apart. Don't you understand? Like, this is basically like, I'm paraphrasing some of this, but he does say my whole world fell apart. To keep myself together, I put on a new mask, quite literally at a certain point, that latex like, mask. A latex. <laughs> no more stuffy, brainy Henry McCoy. Now I was happy-go-lucky, Hank, the man of a thousand jokes. I'll tell you, Vera, sometimes I don't know who I am. I hate him. Vera, <laughs> this is Vera awful. loves a vulnerable guy, though. This is what Calvin did to her. You just know it. It's she, so she, manipulative. She turns to him and she says, I can help you find out, Hank, if you let me, and then kisses him. Vera, sweetheart, run, run, and don't look back. Every sentence of the speech that I just read is manipulative, lacks accountability, turns everything to being about him, nothing about her. She's and not, he doesn't say a thing about her. Like, it's also gaslighting. Like, he was it's just so gaslighting. The reason she walks away, she says, I need your attention. And the second she gets him, he flirts with other girls. And he's basically saying, if you read between the lines, it's okay that I flirted with these other girls because I need to keep this persona up. Otherwise, I'd get sad. I'm a mutant. Why but did she fall are, for Do this? you hate mutants? like do you is it you're just mad at mutants and that's why you're mad at me for doing that i hate him here like this is the worst it's whenever almost... people talk about super villain hank later he's right here like we found him like he is here the it way that he treats almost, vera it is almost to the point of like i only hit you because i love you like I hate almost him. at that level yeah it's really gross but i do think it's brilliant writing like it is it's fleshing this guy out and just showing what an asshole he is but also you're like oh geez because she immediately it works um we see them next marvel team up number 124 vera gets to meet hank's parents for the first time and again sarah i can almost guarantee you've been in a relationship like this you know it's bad but you don't want to start over again so you just keep going with it and and you're like with their parents trying to figure Mm -hmm. it out like that's like the worst i wanted to note too because they are um inconsistently written right these parents i think later are written to have always been pretty supportive of him isn't that right yeah but like in this in this space we get to see them freaking out a little bit which i think even if you're tolerant is pretty normal because your kid's a he's mutant acting and you get it. wild well your kid's a mutant and you get it but now he's a blue fucking furry monster and, and jumping like, everywhere that's something else so they're at the airport picking up his parents and he's jumping all over the fucking place and Vera's like uh Hank I wonder if you could uh calm down a little you're embarrassing me like stop it just stop it man they go out for Indian food Beast's mother has a big emotional reaction to his transformation she calls him a freak 
Uh, Beast goes off to console her and then like Professor Power, we'll get to him some other time, fucking attacks and nearly kills Beast before like his mother pleads for his life. Like, please, please, we still love him. And the villain like leaves him behind because Professor Power lost a kid and like that's the way to get to his heart as if you're a parent who needs their kid. And like Vera's comforting Hank through like all of this chaos. It's a, it's a weird issue, but it like I, I like it for her a little bit. You see her standing her ground a little more. And honestly, you're just like, this girl's ending this at some point. Like, you know that this isn't going to last at all, right? Like, we've run the gag well past where it could be cute or endearing anymore. And now she's literally like, you're jumping around calling attention to me. And I'm like about to meet your parents. And like, I just, I, it's like, there's no concern for her ever. I, through this entire time, we've been talking going on two hours we're not quite at two hours but we've been talking for close to two hours i have never once seen him show any interest in her life right at all at all like not even a little bit like it's never even been like a passing phrase like there's never been like a so how how's your day you know like that just it's nothing it doesn't happen and um I also wanted to note because I said, oh, isn't Beast's parents usually accepting of him being a mutant? There is an important distinction here. Beast's mom is calling him out for something he did to himself, not something that was like his intrinsic mutation. So like this could still yeah, yeah. be a pretty consistent story. I, right? I guarantee I will do an episode about Beast's parents specifically. But yeah, when yeah. he's a baby, they know he's like super strong and has giant feet. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's let's challenge him. Let's love him. Let's protect him. And it, like later when the conquistador fucking kidnaps them, that's the Beast's motivation to like go off and like have a different life like they're good people but yeah the blue furry thing like she's she's struggling to react a little bit i kind of get like, it what did you do <laughs> and uh, why so things get worse defenders 122 beast stands vera up for a date so she's like you know what fuck it i'm just gonna go out with my friends it's almost the first time we see her have a private life but they go out to a restaurant and beast is fucking there having dinner with the defenders and she is pissed she barely even notices that bobby's there so she stomps over to the table and she's like, to think that I was worried sick because I thought you were out saving the world again. You don't look like you're saving the world. You look like you're having a party and you forgot all about me. Then you can just go right on forgetting. Good night, Mr. McCoy. She has grown her hair out. She's in a white shirt, black skirt, red jacket. She's looking fabulous. She walks away in a goddamn fury. And we don't see her again for like over a year uh, until she comes back in Defenders 140. This time, Peter Gillis has taken over. Uh, Beast sends Vera some flowers and a poem. Here's the poem he writes, which would this work on you, Sarah? He goes, it is the rhythm of the lily and the rose, the vain blush and the touch white I know of your cheek that pulls my head in memory to the cool and the hum of your skin as you speak. And it is the rhythm of the distance and the days that stretch my fingers in to search to touch you again. Love your beast. Uh, Vera, and we get a little sneak peek into her life here because she's in her apartment seemingly by herself and she is wearing like the sexiest lingerie and a robe and she is furious. She says out loud after reading this poem, Beast is right, this won't work, Henry P. McCoy. Little Vera is not so easily bought off. Not only do you break more dates than I can count, flirt with everything this side of Boy George, Let's hold that thought for a second. Hold that thought, Vera. But, and here's where we learn, you moved to New Mexico without telling me. Like, you fucking moved to another state. He says, I, she says, I've had it, had it, had it. You never said goodbye, never called, never wrote. And then you think you can send me flowers and write me a poem that's 
too lovely to bear. Oh, Hank, Hank, what am I going to do with you? Vera's got a naughty side. She's got a, like a streak to her. She's wearing lingerie by herself. <laughs> Tell me. She how- is kind of just feeling herself here. Like, I think, like, I think that, you know, there's, it's like, there's a thing where sometimes you're just like, I live alone and there's times where you're just like you know what I'm gonna have a drink I'm gonna like hang out and like you know I'm gonna wear like whatever just you get dressed up or something just for yourself I love this for her I think that this is like the best thing that could have happened and also it's very telling that Beast ruins it (laughs) like it just is very telling that like even whenever she's like kind of moving along and like doing her own thing that he has to send her a love letter after she very clearly walked away from the relationship and he very clearly doesn't give a shit like what's going on in her life he still sends her this poem I'm absolutely disgusted with him like it's like I see why it's like for her she's trying again and again to like get on her own two feet and this guy like she has gotten an attacked in public she's been lied to she's been manipulated she's gone through another terrible relationship with another terrible manipulator she's like, been she in a state died. of non-life she's <laughs> like came back from the dead was like isolated from her friends and her former life like at this point him trying to come back after her while she's trying to get her shit together is like one of the cruelest things that he does because so- you can tell it's just because he had a night alone and he couldn't sit alone with himself. Well, to put you know? this in real, to put this in real context. So let's. Have you ever dated a narcissist? It's pretty. Terrible. Yes. So yes. You're, da- you're dating a narcissist. <laughs> they are not good. You're already having questions about it. And then one night they're like, "Sorry, I can't go out. I'm not feeling well." So you're feeling bad, but you go out and you see them out partying with their friends with at the table. All their friends. And you say, "Fuck you. We are done." And you leave. And then like months go by, you don't hear from her. You hear from a friend. She's literally moved to another state. And then one random fucking day, you're at your apartment in your sexy lingerie and like flowers and a poem arrive. Like, I miss you. I'm so sorry we didn't work. Like, you're on my mind. Like, fuck you. God damn it. Oh, it makes me crazy. That's it. Like, he's awful. Like, that's this whole... We, it's like in the beginning, there's times where you could be like, well, he was a young dude who's like trying to focus on 20 different things, you know? So I get it a little bit at this point in the defenders era, he's straight up abusive to her. Like Mm -hmm. this is really upsetting stuff because it's not, he's not hitting her. He's not berating her, but it still is abuse because it's massively manipulative. And every time she tries to establish herself away from him, he comes back after her. I have dated a narcissist. And what happens is by like a few years down the line, when they decide that they've, what, what happens with narcissists is they can't sit with themselves, right? Like they can't stand to be alone in a room by themselves. Like they can't handle it. So the fact that like they are reaching out to you has nothing to do with you. It has only to do with the fact they were by themselves. Maybe somebody rejected them or something and they can't sit with it. Like they can't just process it like as you have to, right. In order to be a healthy person, you go through things and you sometimes have to just sit by yourself and work it out. And that is the thing is he cannot do that. And that means this letter has nothing to do with her. So what happens in real life, whenever this happens, 
you cannot respond to them anymore. That's you have to cut the oxygen off from the fire because like that's, it's only going to burn you. At the very least, the kindest take on beast in this relationship, Vera's got to be like, there's just no room for me here. Like I'm peripheral to your life. I'm the person you think of after everyone else, but he's not doing that. And we get this moment and this is one of my, this is maybe my favorite beast Vera interaction uh, Cause it's just so telling fuck this story. God damn it. So new defenders 149, And this is like months after the breakup. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's months later. Beast is back in the city. He asks Vera to meet him for lunch at Erland's. Uh, he's wearing this yellow hat, black brim, sunglasses, black and white and red sweater, white shirt, high pop collar. I, I'm sorry. That's what Vera's wearing. Good Lord. Uh, she's looking fabulous. It's like very nineties yeah. chic. Um, and she's agreed to see her ex just to like, let's see what he has to say. Beast is already in a rush. Like before he even starts, he's already like leaving the room. Uh, she says, uh, is this all, is that all we have to look forward to, Hank? Hurried meetings between jobs and missions and mysteries. I know all the arguments, Hank, and I don't want to be a nab, but you're flip and unserious during the good times and... And Hank interrupts her. Do you want to give us uh, his speech here again? <laughs> yeah, don't let her talk, Hank. Definitely don't let her talk. And not there the rest of the time, Vera. I know it's not much to build a relationship on. And besides, it may not be smart to look to a mutant for anything these days, particularly not security. This is what I hate. He brings up being a mutant to absolutely manipulate her. I hate it. She has never said anything to him that would make him believe that him being a mutant was any kind of an issue for her. Even after he experimented on himself, she never made a big deal out of it ever that we've seen so the fact that he always brings it up in their conversations as if that's the problem is sick so he says but constancy if or yeah okay yeah yeah yeah. particularly not security but constancy if the heart should still count for something in this world fuck you i can't handle this guy whatever happens veer remember my heart remains the same open for you 24 hours drive up three tellers no waiting okay, so beautiful he, line wonderful he, line he Go then fuck gives yourself. her he then gives her a, like a parting gift and this tells you everything you have ever needed to know about hank mccoy the character he gives her a present it's not something she loves it's not like a, a sentimental thing from one of their dates it's like from the Avengers merchandise store at the bottom of Avengers mansion or something. He gives her a beast signal watch with his picture on it. It's like a little thing with his arms that like tick around the clock, like a fucking old Mickey Mouse watch. Uh, he tells her it has a special sub etheric signaling device that she can press it when she's lonely and he'll hear her with his beast hearing, which is not a thing he can do. Not a thing. <laughs> so he gives her a watch. Uh, it's like... It almost, it almost reminded me of one of those like fancy butt plugs that'll like vibrate when someone pushes it. From away, which is oh yeah, disgusting. yeah, yeah. But he's like, he's trying to get it. He's trying to go there. I here's think. Here's <laughs> a nonsense picture of me on a like children's toy. Uh, and by the way, I have to go now. Uh, like he just leaves her at the table. But I'm here for you whenever. And he, like, she has a tear running down her cheek as he runs away what like what 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 is happening 
<laughs> that's it. We're done, right? Like we just can't do it. It's awful. Uh, um, so this is the narcissist that you dated like six months later coming back and saying, Hey, you're still on my mind. I'm always here from you. And here's a picture of me. Now I, I know what go. you I'm like other girls. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I know about your interests. They're me, right? Here is my face on a teddy bear. <laughs> like take it home and snuggle me whenever you're lonely. It's so gross. It's so I gross. I hate this man. <laughs> uh, but then Beast is out of her life and Vera fucking finds herself. We see her in X Factor 2 and 3 uh, a couple years later, 1986, Bob Layton's writing. She is at her new loft apartment. And I think she in this space is like wanting to show Beast how well she's doing. He's back in the city. So she invites him and Bobby over. And they like, look up, she's looking fabulous. She shaved part of her head and grown her hair out on the other side. She's in like this like white flowy outfit. She's got some cleavage, like her full stomach is showing. And they're like, holy shit, Vera got hot. And she she was hot the whole time, bitches. And then she makes them some red zinger tea. They're like, have you been brainwashed by aliens? What's happened? And she (laughs) says, she gives them this little speech. She's probably high. She says, so I said to my, <laughs> so, so I said to myself, Vera, it's time you found out what life is all about. So I enrolled in some classes at Columbia University in popular culture. And wow, I have to tell you, Hanky Poo, Elvis Costello changed my life. Have you ever <laughs> listened to his lyrics? So I opened my own bookstore on St. Mark Street. It specializes in left-wing music and literature from South America. I think it will catch on very soon. She even gives like, she's like, I'll even give you a discount for politically aware mutants. Uh, she is feeling herself. Tell me about this transformation for like early or late 80s Vera Cantor. Right. We made the the comparison that this is a desperately seeking Susan era Vera. <laughs> <laughs> she definitely, I if for anybody who isn't familiar with the movie, it's Rosanna Arquette and Madonna. Rosanna Arquette is a housewife who becomes uh, obsessed with Madonna. She's not Madonna the figure, but Madonna's character, Susan. So Rosanna Arquette is obsessed with Susan because Susan seems to have this life that she wishes she could have. She's, you know, in a go nowhere relationship with a businessman. She's got the money and the house, but she has like no love. And Susan is this like fly by night character who goes from city to city, just doing whatever she wants. Men will write her little like lines in the personals ads like, hey, meet me at the park. Uh, and it's always t- like started desperately seeking Susan. And uh, this this character is like obsessed with this woman who has this life that she wants. And good Lord, is it a weird movie? Like from It's there. so <laughs> like they should just kiss, right? But it's also just like, okay, fine. It works out, I guess. You know? <laughs> like- there's, there's a hitman and some earrings from an Egyptian tomb and some amnesia and like, uh, there's like a, 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 a stage magician with some like chickens and ducks and fucking doves in his act and like it's hijinks and it's Madonna songs and it's wonderful. Rosanna Arquette ends up with Aiden Quinn and who's that's really so hot in this movie. Who's, he's, so young. he's so dreamy during this time right? He's just like oh well it's nice to meet you you know like that it's just so funny it's like blue eyes he's all yeah he's yummy yum yum yum. even now silver fox i mean good god um but yeah so go for that i mean rosanna cat not doing too bad herself i'll say but 
yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ, this is like a hundred percent desperately seeking Susan. Like I, Savira, <laughs> Savira went from be, being Rosanna Arquette to now she is the Madonna character. Now she's, she's like, Susan. Yeah, she's got her she's... bookstore. She's got her new hairstyle. Like fuck anyone who is not me. Uh, what is her motivation inviting Bobby and Hank over this day? I think it is just to be like, yeah, I'm doing awesome. Like, I mean, it's nice to see you guys. Like, I don't really need you to be here though. <laughs> like, I think she's just being friendly. I mean, that's the thing is, is like, I was talking about my narcissist ex and it's like, I'm never going to respond to a text from this person. But if you see him, you're just like, yeah, let's have a coffee or whatever. Like, you can just be like, yeah, I'm doing like really well in a way that I wouldn't be able to be doing if I were with you. <laughs> so it's and just this, kind of good to make that as a point. The second she brings him back into her her life things go crazy again tower 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 is like a size changing like awful racist mutant guy blah we'll talk about him another time uh he bursts into the apartment like trashes everything knocks out vera and iceman captures beast blah 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 vera ends up back at the x-factor headquarters because that's where beast is now they're living this weird thing where they're posing as mutant hunters but actually like taking in mutants that they can help and she meets cameron hodge and Anyway, when things finally wrap up, Hank comes back and his blue fur is gone. He gets his human form back. And Vera has always been hot for like muscly Hank. Like she takes him clothes shopping. She looks like Blossom, like from that old show, like big blue hat, bow tie, like baggy yellow suit. She's calling him Hanky Poo. If you love me, please come out. He's all trendy. She gets him to like wear like purple pants and a plaid jacket and a pink tie with a spider on it. He's like, I look ridiculous. And she's like, oh, you look like Elvis Costello with muscles. And she loves herself some Elvis Costello. Yeah. Uh, And then Bobby goes, I don't know. It kind of looks like what if Magilla Gorilla attended a rock concert, which is great. And then they- are just jealous, Bobby, because you want to kiss Hank. (laughs) And then Beast and Bobby run off and get called on a mission and Vera has to fucking pay for the clothes. God damn it. Like they're doing the same shit to her as they did in the (laughs) sixties. But, uh, but she's, she's horny for human Hank. Like Vera's fundamental flaw. She ignores warning signs. She's always quick to like recognize nonsense, but she ignores the warning signs. When she sees someone that she is hot for that needs her a little bit. She's like, yeah, we can work this, even though you've done this to me before. She like still has the beast signal watch in her drawer at home. So she remembers how it was, but then she's like, yeah, let's try this out. Let's think it over. Let me make it be different this time. They just destroyed her apartment, you know? So it's like, it. she keeps being put in this position where it's like, yeah, if I see my terrible ex, I'm not going to be like, yeah, I'm going to move into your apartment with you. However, if my apartment was destroyed and I didn't have anywhere else to go, it'd be like, I guess. And then it's like, at that point, you're, you have to be open to what they have to say. And once again, she is open-minded and she always has been attracted to this guy. Um, You know, like if you're in her position, maybe like, there's just not really, it's like, you can tell that she sees that like they're going back to the thing, right? And like, it's immediate that they're doing the same exact thing that they've always done, but she's changed. And once again, he really hasn't. Like he, we see him do new decade, new beast, but they're always pretty superficial changes, right? So it's like, she is growing like left and right and like, you know, owns her own bookstore now, has her own apartment, all of this. And then it's like, he's still 
up oh, i've got to go hang out with my friends bye and i have certainly been there again there's the toxic relationship that ended and you wonder if it can be different because the sex was great and you hold on for a minute and see and then you're like no no and this is her era beast is about to go through it too right like this is where this is the story where like the horseman of apocalypse attack and he like loses his smarts and like becomes this dumb creature yep. but vera kind of gets to know like a, a side of beast that's he's like a little bit nurturing they're bringing like Artie maddox and rusty collins in and they're taking care of these kids she sees a couple more crazy fights and like in one in one issue she even poses as an x-factor agent for a second to like help cover for the mutants uh in x-factor eight she's got like high high mohawk like fabulous green trench coat and uh trish tilby has shown up this is the new woman the woman that beast deserves in his life the woman that beast deserves <laughs> so that's the thing with trish they deserve each other it makes sense you look at that relationship and you're like yeah i'm not saying that's healthy but it makes it's just i feel so much less uncomfortable about it right because it's just like trish is also kind of terrible so tell us, uh, tell us about trish tilby this is a journalist but this isn't the classic journalist that we see you know this is not the lowest lane whatsoever this is a scandalous journalist who's just like mutants human or not you know kind of like you could see i wouldn't say that she would be like a fox news person but i would say that she'd be like maybe cnn or something right like she, she is, still she is isn't career driven she will only date you if it will benefit her and her career so she she seems genuinely interested in hank but also like attaching myself to this guy will raise my ratings is the vibe yep. i've always got off her and also she has no problems just like airing his personal details. And I think that, like I said, this is the woman that makes the most sense out of everyone that Beast has dated, which I don't think he's dated that many people. This is the one where you're just like, yeah, totally. You're both equally terrible. <laughs> like you both don't care that much about each other. Like I remember that after we talk about the terrible relationships, it's like after I went through like a breakup, I remember being like seeing the ex with somebody who was equally kind of awful and being mm -hmm. like, oh, that's kind of cute, you know, like <laughs> because you just go like, oh, that's great actually for you too. Like, uh, like not only am I not gonna be getting like late night text messages and I'm relieved by that, but also like, okay, you found somebody who is like you <laughs> maybe and maybe you and i come back for a trish tilby episode in the future i would love to. i would love to but, i love uh, trish, trish because she's terrible like i think that terrible characters are important too part of the reason she works for him too though and this is the best side of beast again he has a busy chaotic life that's all over the place he needs someone who is independent who has her shit together. She's not waiting cool. by the phone. Yeah, she's not gonna be hurt when he like stands her up for a date and disappears and then comes back two days later. I mean, she's maybe- She's like, she no, I'm like totally fucking somebody else right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, she's got her own life, her own boy toys on the side. Uh, doesn't care, yeah. He's Vera, hurt by her more than anything. is not gonna anything. be that girl. She's never gonna be that girl. And I think that Beast also needs someone who kind of treats him like he treats other people. like. The way that he treats Vera makes Vera feel terrible. I think that Trish treats Hank 
the way that he treats Vera and it makes him feel bad. But I also think that that's what he needs. Like, I think that that's what he's actually attracted to. Well, and later we get the infamous, we'll go into another time and this is not the correct story, but he basically says, you can't break up with me, Trish, I'm gay. Like, <laughs> that's, that's kind yeah. of how it goes later. We'll get there another time. I would actually love to do Trish Toby with you sometime. Yes, because their interaction, it's like the other side of Vera. It's like Vera is like the character that we love and we're just like, God, you didn't deserve this guy at all. And Trish, you're like, we love because you did deserve this guy. <laughs> like you guys just make sense. So Beast is human again, or in his human form. They're kind of back together, not really. Vera hangs out for a minute. And then he immediately just starts dating Trish. There's no mention of Vera. He just like casts yeah. aside again. So in her final canonical appearance, again, she showed up in the year 2000 and the Hidden Years thing, but that's the flashback. In X-Men number 55 in 1985, Peter David's taken over and he writes a story called Desperately Seeking Vera, which is a direct reference to the Desperately Seeking Susan thing. Uh, we get the villain Mesmero here. And Mesmero... I have not given much thought to, but I recently did a front to back, like we're, we're putting him on trial on my podcast soon. He's the fucking worst. He's a Awful. terrible, terrible guy. Uh, Mesmero's here. Mesmero's a guy that can hypnotize you and make you just do whatever the fuck he wants. He's super rapey, super awful. So in this issue, we see Beast walking down the street and Sarah, I'm really enjoying hearing you try to get through Beast's monologue without commentary. <laughs> Oh, which one is it? Where, uh, where are we at? So under the desperately seeking Vera section, X Factor 65, Beast is walking down the street and uh, there's like a whole inner monologue. Uh, will you read what he's thinking? This is These are his thoughts to himself. Yeah, sorry, one second. No, no, you're great. I could do it really quickly. No, no, I accidentally just like zoomed out on my, <laughs> at, at the worst possible time I zoomed out. So let me see. And his, is it the inner monologue? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Dear God, this man. <laughs> After all, as, th is that where I'm supposed to start? Uh -huh, yep, yep. Oh, okay, sweet. After all, as the bodacious beast, I have strength, agility, and if all else fails, my razor-sharp wit. Can you chill? <laughs> like, shut up. This is his inner monologue. It's just like, well, I'm basically handsome and amazing and smart, but... So he turns a corner, and there is Vera Cantor, and These she has been... These poor non-mutants, all they have are incredible legs. Yeah, yeah. so Vera's, <laughs> Vera's standing there, and she has been like, prostituted up by Mesmero, which is super creepy. Red leather it's jacket, weird. This is bracelets, weird. like red lipstick, black pants, like cleavage for days. Her hair's grown out. She's smoking a cigarette and she doesn't even recognize him. She's not in control of herself at this point. Uh, what were you going to say, Sarah? Sorry. It's just really intense because it's like, she's definitely like working the streets and stuff. And you're just like, um, listen, <laughs> <laughs> I just have questions about like this specific choice because it's like Mesmero's creepy, but somebody had to write this story, right? So I'm just like, why was it your impulse to put Vera, who's been through absolute hell, to being like a sex worker, but a, it's not a sex worker because it is prostitution at this point. Like she's been sold into it essentially. Yeah, I've got like, a whole episode about mind control and sexual assault coming up because this is yeah. one of those stories that just, uh, but this is a reference to the uh, to the Desperately Seeking Susan movie where Rosanna Arquette's character loses her memory and thinks she's something else. Yeah, 100%. Uh, she's, she's casually smoking and she says, nothing does the trick like a cancer stick. And then uh, turns to Hank and she's like, so you interested in a good time or you just get kicks dressing like a road company cowardly lion? 
And Hank's like, Vera, it's me. We used to go out and have a relationship. I know you've been through a lot. We didn't part on the best of terms, but I never thought you'd turn into a prostitute. You were a librarian for pity's sake. And I'm putting words in his mouth. But like, yikes, buddy. Also, you're just like, like, okay. I drove you to prostitution. I've ruined you for other men is the implication. And Vera says, that's the game you want to play? Fine. I'm a librarian and you can check me out. (laughs) Again, Mesmero gross, but that's a great line. And then uh, Hank just grabs or tries to grab her. He's like, you're coming with me. But another prostitute comes over to check on Vera. A car careens by Mesmero takes her. And uh, uh, Beast is like, what the fuck happened? A little bit later, Vera is in a totally different outfit. Black shirt, striped shorts, red belt ensemble. She's at like posing as a cello player who left her cello in the cab. Beast runs down to confront her, grabs the cello, but it explodes. Mesmero is just fucking with him. He's like messing with with Vera's mind and trying to drive Beast crazy. Uh, Now she shows up again. This time she's in like flower crusted overalls. She's uh, posing as a hot dog vendor. Uh, but like Mesmero makes Beast believe like a fucking monster arm comes out of the hot dog cart to beat him up. It, like it's just it's just kind of nonsense the whole thing. Uh, and this 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 like old woman starts beating Beast up here, which is kind of wonderful. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a reference to uh, Linda Hamilton here on the show Beauty and the Beast, uh, which uh, the reference here, if you go back and look at pop culture, is like they killed her character off because she got pregnant uh, when they were filming. So it's uncomfortable. Anyway, Beast chases Vera down. He finally learns Mesmero's behind all this, has been fucking with him. And then Mesmero starts messing with Beast, uh, releases Vera from his hold. And she just starts fucking pounding on Mesmero. Like she jumps on his back. She's hitting him in the head. He knocks her off. Uh, Vera takes some time, like, uh, and Mesmero leaves. Uh, so let's get to that point, And then we'll talk about the conclusion of the Hank-Vera uh, relationship. Like this whole story with Mesmero and all the shifting identities for Vera. Wh- what did you think about all this? Yeah, I don't like this story. Um, I do like how it ends. I think that she has her moments. I don't like when sex work is portrayed in this way or like the jokes you know it's like used as a joke it's used as something that's so like whoopsie wow shocking to beast like it's also used as something that like makes him also again reflect on himself you know like the the whole thing I don't like the setup I hate Mesmero like I really just don't like any part of this um but I do like the ending so you know like what what do you think about it because um, yeah, I just, I have a lot of questions on this choice. I'm like, Vera's been through enough. You didn't need to do this to her. And then also I hate it when people portray sex work like this. I just I'm, don't like it. I'm actually shocked. I mean, we get beast's nurse, beast narcissism all the way through. I'm actually shocked out of all of Vera's appearances. It dawns on me. This is the first time she's ever used as a pawn against Hank. Yeah. When she drank the tea, that was another kind of story when she's knocked out. But the, I don't think they specifically targeted her. She just drank the tea. Right. In this case, we have a villain using her as a plot device, which is something we see so often with every character ever. Cameron Hodgson, Southern, come to mind as an example. Um, I, I like that she got through most of her history without this. Uh, I'm getting I, I get, I'm getting ready to do a panel of like pretty incredible people doing a discussion about the topic is mind control and the portrayal of sexual assault in comic books. And this story is one of those that I will reference. Um, uh, I think during times in publication history, it's been very acceptable to treat women this way. 
let's uh, let's dress her as a prostitute and make these implications and ha 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 and it's okay for the girl to get killed off or to have her will removed uh, i mean another example that'll come up is like the purple man with his daughter purple girl he like mind controlled her mother into a marriage with him father to child and then she left and like has to raise her rape baby on her own i mean yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of these types of stories that are that are really really common uh, Peter David is not always great to his women characters. Uh, yep. Wolvesbane comes to mind a lot. Lots or, of characters come to mind. Or even Lorna or Layla. Frank. Yeah, there's a lot. But, uh, but I do like the usage of Vera here. And I like the conclusion of the issue. Let's cover the that. The conclusion is what matters, I think. Yeah. Because I think that the whole setup, there's something really wrong with this story. Uh, but the conclusion is very solid. I also love that Vera, as soon as she comes to, the first thing she does is fucking jump on Mesmero's back and just start beats his ass. Yeah, yeah right. that's like, okay, we'll give it to her. I don't think that what happens to her is worth that scene. I don't think that that should have been used as a tool in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. It is still refreshing to see Vera beat up Mesmero. <laughs> it's deeply problematic, this story. It absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, so in their final scene together, and this is the last time we've seen her, She's getting her memories back. She says, the last thing I remember is leaving the school where I teach now. So apparently she's a teacher now, which is great. Love that. The rest is a blank. Beast says, so it's nice to know you've gotten your life together, Vera. Love your hair. So she's like, oh, by the way, you look good. And then Vera goes, thanks. And I hear you and that reporter, Trish Tilby, are quite an item. I'm happy for you, Henry. And I'm just picturing her voice dripping with sarcasm. Like, I know, I fucking know you asshole. Don't flirt with me. Beast goes, uh, how did you know about me and Trish? And she corrects him. She corrects his grammar. Trish she and goes, me? Trish and me. And I saw it in the Inquirer, bitch. Like it was in the fucking newspapers. Do you think I'm a moron? I mean, she, that's not what she says. He goes, you read the rags? Scholarly librarian, Vera? And she goes, well, just in the supermarket line. And he says, huh, you certainly have changed, Vera. Come on, I'll walk you home. I hear the subways aren't safe. And that's the last time we see her. She has moved on. Uh, tell me your thoughts on this concluding scene with her. It's like he had to be, he has to, he's a better friend than he could ever be a boyfriend because this is the first time he's cared about whether or not she got home safe, right? Like that comment in and of itself is basically him being like, I'll be a better friend than I was ever to, as a lover, you know, or somebody who you were in a relationship with. He can't be there for her on that level he's obviously still shooting a shot with her like which is like it's so over buddy like jesus christ <laughs> like stop stop but he can't not you know he's like one of those guys that just can't not but i love that she's a teacher we're making conversation they seem to be in a good place almost like she's just like it's cool like let's like cap it you know like we're not doing this anymore at all like, so one of the I big things that... one of the things i thought of in conclusion here is like where would vera be now and like looking at her character trajectory she's in like her early 30s uh i imagine she's still in new york city i feel like she's she's a new doing, york girl she's doing what she loves whether that is teaching or owning a bookstore she is dating maybe she's even married and has like 
uh, a very like sexy wrestler boyfriend who just fucks her brains out once in a while. And she's got a vibrant social life and people surround it. And she wants nothing to do with Beast or Mimic or anything to do with any of them. But she's also showing up at like the pro mutant rallies. She's like advocating for people she cares about because she knows a lot of heroes at this point. She knows what this like crazy life is like. Uh, and living in Marvel's, Marvel's New York City is not an easy thing for any civilian because it's nonsense all the time. But uh, I I, uh, I don't know. What do you think her life is like now? And then if you were going to pitch a story with her, like now, where is she now? What story would you tell with her? Yeah, it'd have to be years later. She is an advocate for the mutants. That's how you would have to see her. Like she, I don't think anything else in her life would make it be a given that she would show up anywhere else. Although we might see something along the lines of Vera, Vera, uh, you know, ended up with Hank's dog from the Defenders. That was something that Connor Stars and I said during the uh, <laughs> during the Candy Southern episode. Like we were kind of like, you know, that dog probably lives with Vera because Vera is the one who could take care of it. I am all <laughs> into her having sassafras. That's cute. I think it's cute too. And it's such a Hank move to be like, I got a dog. Okay. My ex can have it, you know, like whatever. Ugh, so here's, here's the story I picture with her. Benjamin Percy's writing X-Force, right? And Hank is like slowly decomposing with his morals and his fucking body. And he ends up in New York city. There's some sort of crazy battle. He is like missing an arm and like dripping with just like messiness. And Vera walks by like looking fucking amazing and she's got like some hot guy that's like a better version of Hank on her arm and there's just a moment like we could have a whole scene with him just like going holy shit that could have been my life but look where I ended up and she's like fuck you I'm fine like good luck I can't anymore beast I can't like go maybe just feels bad for him at this point because that's usually how I feel you know it's like that's how I feel towards like my terrible ex like you're just kind (laughs) of like oh, you're going to keep doing this forever. It just gets worse for you. Like that sucks, you know? And he, and he says like, can I see you again sometime? And she's like, mm, no, no, you really can't. And he's like, do you still have the watch I gave you? <laughs> and she's like, absolutely not. But she does. She you does. Know? It's like, it's like in a shoebox with a like a little, she, she has like some blue fur that's like wrapped in a little bow. It's like fond memories on the shelf, but like, let's leave it behind. The time I got fucked by that, by that mutant guy who went insane. I, uh, I love her, Sarah. I love her. Yeah, I love her too. I definitely, this did not make me love Hank, but it did make me see a lot of context for where people have gone with him. I think that one of the most common criticisms is the same with Bobby, where they go, it came out of nowhere. Like Bobby being gay and Hank being evil is something that people are always like, where did that come from? It came out of the blue. And it's like, neither of those cases is that true. Like Bobby is very gay from very early on. I just reread, I just reread the first Iceman limited series by J.M. DeMatteis in the 1980s. Yep, me too. And uh, Rob Salerno and I talked about this in our Drake's episode. He's so clearly portrayed as gay there. You can read between the lines on other stuff, but in that series, he's very, very gay. Yeah, I'm about to be on the podcast, Tighten Up the Defense, talking about it. And one mm. of my main points is going to be Bobby's clearly into men here. Mm. And there's mm. a lot of allegory. I mean, yeah, you think about like, we we think commonly about like the 90s, right? And like stuff like that, where it's like, there's 
obviously hence being dropped by a lot of the writers back then but it goes much further back than that also the way that he treats women is like such a if that guy isn't gay it's like he still is like a red flag right because it's like you've got to not be around the guy who always is kind of on the make in this way that's so um performative so i think that the level of performative interest in women that he always had was something that makes you be like yeah um i hope that you're gay because otherwise you're like actually a very problematic person not to say that it's not problematic anyway but it's like at least you can understand if he's like trying to hide something about himself but yeah i don't know i did love vera like i was kind of surprised by how much I liked this character and kind of how much she digs up in you, you know, like I was thinking about a lot of relationship stuff while I was thinking about Vera Mm -hmm. and like how these toxic relationships go through your life and kind of how the best decision is always to Vera your way out of it, you know, and be like, I am just moving on. Like I can't, answer your texts anymore like it's just not right for me and then you see how far they come you know you see how far Vera's come you see how happy like I feel like I'm really happy with like pets and you know making soups and (laughs) things it's like you there's a time of your life where you need that like kind of explosive love I guess but after a while you start to be like that really wasn't love like that was just kind of role-playing you know like we were both kind of role-playing as people that we aren't and I feel that way with Vera I think that Vera is there's no question in my mind that Vera is doing amazing now right like that's in both of our versions of her future she's doing great she's an activist she's involved in her community she has I I don't know if I do see her married but I definitely see her having a hunky boyfriend who is over the moon for her right these are things that I think that she gets as time goes on I don't think that Hank was ever going to give them to her and so it is an interesting thing because it's like the happiest story almost of the X-Men because she gets away from the (laughs) X-Men like it's kind of that right we get a version of Hank if you don't take any of his other history into context and you only view him through Vera's eyes you get a very fundamental understanding of this character from a particular place and I don't I I love Beast I hate the character but I hate I I love to hate the character like yeah he pisses me off. I'm thrilled he's leading X-Force because he makes me so fucking mad. And I want to have feelings in a comic book. But Vera, Vera in the same way to me brought up a lot of like my own history. I was a closeted guy who married an, a woman and had children before coming out. And I'm very forgiving toward that version of myself who didn't know any better because of religious doctor indoctrination and family trauma, blah, blah, blah. Vera in that one story, like sells out her whole life savings to try to help Calvin. And uh, again, I have a lot more to say about Mimic in a future episode too, but uh, but she broke away from that. She started her life over again and then again and then again. And uh, you see her as this like very adaptable creature who like learns lessons very quickly. My favorite, if I had to choose one story, her stomping up to Hank at that table when he's out with his friends after lying to her and she's like, fuck you and walks away. Like, yes, that's the Vera Cantor that I love. I love the sardonic wit right from the beginning when she's like bantering with Hank and like not putting up with this shit. 
Uh, I think she's a wonderful, wonderful character. I can't, I don't even know that I can describe why I love her so much. I just, I attach to her in a way that I always have. And even after talking with you for two and a half hours, I'm like, that feeling has only intensified, but I'm not still not quite sure why I can, why, why I attach to her in the way I do. Like, I just, I love her. She's like the, she's like the every girl, right? Like she's somebody who you can relate to because she does have it rough. She doesn't have anything handed to her. She gets drawn into the superhero lives, only suffers from it, doesn't benefit from it one bit, as far as I can see. And yet she's never hateful towards them. Like there's always a sense of she understands what it's like to have to accept your own shortcomings in life, to have to know that there are people among you that I believe clearly Hank thinks of himself as a God. Right. And like, you have to understand that like that attitude has its own responsibility, but it also has its own tragedy. It also has its own drawbacks that keep him from being able to connect with other people. So that's why I think that she would view Hank as a tragic figure at this point, because mm -hmm. it's just like, he's not happy you she's know not, she's not mad at him anymore just don't fucking hurt me don't pull me into your nonsense and uh, she's that, in i think that, she's impervious to it now i don't think that she he could i think that seeing the way that she is in that last appearance is her just being like shut the fuck up like, well, and almost <laughs> almost in some ways her last appearance even before that is better like her last couple she's in her lingerie in the apartment like getting that poem and like just fuck you and then like he gives her the watch at the restaurant and she just has like one tear to shed for him and that's her last fuck like uh, to give uh, but then she comes back with this like reinvented self right like uh i don't know I think she's wonderful. Thank you for your valuable time and insights today. I think you are just the loveliest person, which is why I keep inviting you back and back and back because you're smart and incredible and insightful and you make me think and you're fucking hilarious. So I, I, I adore you. Um, in our next Patreon episode, uh, we're going to be, I'm going to be sitting down with my buddy, uh, Seth Martell, who actually drew, drew this picture of Vera and Zelda for me back there. Uh, but Seth Martell has been working with me on the podcast, doing uh, art and streamlining. Uh, he also did this Polaris right here for me and this mastermind. So he's on my wall the most. Seth is a good friend of mine. We're going to sit down and analyze the old uh, uh, character, Fred Duncan, who's the FBI guy that's with the X-Men. Uh, so we'll have a really fun discussion about that. Uh, Sarah, where can people find you online and what do we maybe have to look forward to you coming out? I'm just going to say, uh, listen to Bitches on Comics, follow me on Twitter um, if you're in for a roller coaster. And also my Twitter handle is Sarah Century and my website is sarahcentury.com. sarahcentury.com is going to be the best place to check right now because um, there's so many things coming up and they're so unannounced, you know? You're, so. you're all over the place and it's for a reason. It's because you're incredible and you're doing so much great stuff. Like I, I'm a huge, huge fan. Like I, I, I I'm I'm honored to to be your friend. Thank you. For Thank you. Time. I'm honored to be your friend. Thank you so much. Uh, all right, everybody. We'll see you back here uh, on next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Oh, I also tossed this out online, but just to say, uh, my husband and I are going to FlameCon now. So if anyone's going to hey. FlameCon, some come say hi. We'll uh, we'll gladly say hello. Uh, all right. With that, we'll see you uh, back here next time.